Welcome back to episode 46 of the Blockrunner podcast. Here is where we discuss the latest developments in cryptocurrency while we make this new technology relatable to you. You can watch this podcast on our YouTube channel to follow along with our discussion. As always, I'm your host, William, talking with your co-host, Iman. And today we bring Ben Kelly, who went from a few hundred Axie Infinity NFTs to almost 10,000. He talks about how he did it among these other topics. First up, how he started his competitive career with Magic the Gathering cards. Next, we learn when he first heard of Bitcoin. Then we find out what makes an Axie NFT valuable and his breeding engine. And finally, we bounce off our own NFT idea. All right, let's listen in. What's up, guys? All right, and today we bring you an expert in Axie, Axie Infinity player, NFT trader, and the founder of Axie.gg. He and his team built a series of intelligent algorithms to breed Axies, and they now own almost 10,000. Most of these, which will be available on, in the store, in his store next month. Today we bring you Ben Kelly. Thank you very much for joining us, man. My pleasure. Um, I can't say it's my store. It's definitely our store. It, it was a team effort to get this thing running. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So Ben is part of a, a, a team who has, I, I guess, essentially been breeding a, a bunch of Axie Infinities. And I think you, I believe we started with like 600 or so, correct? The, the initial Axie pre-sale, I think, Origins were allocated at about 6,000, about 20% of which I think were um, Mystic Axes, uh, which are special parts uh, that will, in the eventual late game, have extra special animations. Uh, so, so first of all, uh, Ben has like the probably one of the more interesting backgrounds that we've seen in quite a <laughs> while. Yeah, man. Like he's uh he's he's got he's into AR and virtual reality. Yeah, we went to his YouTube channel and he's got like some really, really like cutting edge, interesting looking videos to me at least. I've never yeah. I'm not too deep. I mean, okay, AR. My my exposure to AR is like Pokemon Go. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's my maximum exposure to uh, that yeah. that realm. I know I've seen other. There's a new game I just found called Rod Rodopo. Rolled Opo, yeah. Rolled Opo, which is kind of like it feeds off of that same augmented reality concept that Pokemon Go, like, mainstream. Yeah, it's it's almost a, a direct copy. It just yeah. kind of, it's just different, right? Well, yeah, the, the objective is different, I guess. It's, it's the same. Like, you're using the real-world Google Maps landscape That's right. for the world. For the world, which you can own land yeah, in that world. Yeah, you're supposed to buy land... <laughs> Which sounds familiar if you've been watching this. Podcast. You're supposed to buy land, yeah, and uh, collect these natural resources that start spawning. Instead of Pokemon, you get like some resources that start to spawn in the zone, right? And the objective, I guess, is to build like an infrastructure, a mining network on the land that you own to harvest something called gems, which is their their cryptocurrency, which isn't right. listed on exchange yet, but it's a uh, so. But you pending you. you you don't mine gems, right? You mine like the qubits. They're called qubits, which is like the in-game resource. And there's other resources too. But and, the and these are not NFTs or anything like that. There's just an not in-game resource. Of. Yeah, not that I know of. But the point is, is these guys they're they're optimizing AR. Apparently, there's some AI built into this game. There's the the blockchain aspect of it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's built on Ethereum or anything like that. I'm sure it's like a normal game, like, you know, it's hosted on a server, but the, the cryptocurrency itself is like a, Oh, I see an ERC 20. Okay. You know? So like the, the gaming 
aspects of it, the the mechanics and all that, they're all yeah. probably on a server, and it's just. I believe so. You know, I'm not an expert yet, but I, I downloaded the app and I'm I'm getting started. Yeah, <laughs> I'm downloading. I mean, I'm not downloading. I'm mining some. We're not even mining. I'm collecting some. And collecting qubits. They're just randomly spawning around me. So yeah, but it's interesting. And it it's funny because you kind of like you turn on the game and and like there's this AR aspect to it where you just kind of turn around in your chair to find these qubits and you just kind of absorb them it looks which like. is good because like people are familiar with that like i said because pokemon go yeah so and i think it was a huge viral success i'm not i mean i think yeah not just because it's a pokemon game but dude it was it was interesting yeah. seeing people get out and like get outside and like <laughs> form like little mini yeah. c- communities you know what i mean like that yeah, was crazy yeah i even went um to i, I guess a, a park and um, there was like a ton of people there playing that game. Yeah, I remember I went to like a something. It's kind of like a shopping center type place. There's a yeah. bunch of shopping malls around there, and like, dude, at least a couple hundred like gamer really? yeah, kids yeah, yeah. playing Pokemon Go, and a lot of the people walking by, like you know, confused. Some of them are like kind of aggressive, like calling like, "Look at these fucking nerds" and shit like oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Some of them are being total assholes about it, but the other ones were kind of like interested too. Yeah. And then they're like, "Hey, what are you guys doing?" And then they tell them. Yeah, and like just download the game and start playing with us, you know. Right, right, right. I did that for like a couple of weeks. <clears throat> I think most people did. It yeah. kind of like fizzled. Yeah, I, no, I think there's still people playing, but like, yeah, it's actually well, fizzled. That like that ridiculous level that it was at. Yeah, like I, I always think about Pokemon Go and thinking about NFTs, and if Niantic yeah. and Nintendo come out with Pokemon Go but NFT style, like I think you're you're gonna see like a consistent player base. Yeah, because the like I like in Pokemon Go, the goal was to collect like the coolest and best Pokemon, right? So yeah. you could, so you could battle your neighborhood leaders. There was like a tower where I think only one person could control. Yeah, I think. Yeah. So you wanted to be like the biggest badass and like kick them off the tower and put your Pokemon up there and your name and your profile pic and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, you didn't earn anything. Yeah, you didn't. Except for clout. You know, a little bit of little bit of glory, a little bit. Yeah, of glory. you gain levels, and I mean that's pretty much it. Yeah, but the point is, like, lot. you could literally, and, I, and obviously this roll dopo game is kind of like they're bringing that gaming aspect and trying to introduce real world value into it. So, uh, as a, an incentive mechanism to keep playing the game. Yeah, you know, and there's a whole world of this being built, a whole ecosystem that's like on the ground floor. If you listen to our Metalith interview, yeah, goodness, man. Yeah, Joel and Mark. Yeah, those guys yeah, are cool. If you if you like this uh episode, this podcast that we're about to get into, definitely go back and check out the Metalith interview. These guys are building out like analytics tools and yeah, stuff. Yeah, for sure. Because the NFT market is kind of difficult to to measure. Yeah, it's not like cryptocurrencies, right? Cryptocurrencies, it, they how they all have spot prices. So I mean, it's real easy to tell where the market is headed. But NFTs, hey guys, yes, hey Ben. So on that note about measurements. Yeah, I've had a few conversations on Twitter with people who are encountering the same issue. Yeah, <clears throat> which is how do we get a sense of market cap velocity because it's so fragmented? It's great to hear that people are working on that because it's that's the kind of credibility that mm-hmm. the NFT world needs in order for people to take it seriously and realize it's not just about games. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Oh, absolutely. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about your background, Ben, if possible. So tell us a little bit about like how you got into uh well first you you were big into uh Magic the Gathering, right? Yeah, um Magic the Gathering has basically been my profession for the last ten years. 
and I've been playing it since 1994. So when I was, I guess, eight, nine, ten years old, Magic had just come out, and uh, I was already a baseball card collector because mm-hmm. I'm a huge baseball fan, and I'm a huge just kind of collector. I come from a family of like antique dealers, merchant sailors, traders, Silk Road people. I'm sure back in the the day, so the trading and, and such is kind of in my blood. Mm. As is a uh, you know competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not like a vicious competitor. Um, I care about winning a lot, but like the esports team is run by Chief, who is like, if I don't, if I lose a tournament, I don't really care. But if he loses a tournament, he's like, okay, back to the drawing board. We got, <laughs> we got hustle. Right. So that the reason that that matters is because I found that out very quickly um, once I started playing Magic seriously. So I started playing as a kid. Fast forward to you know 20 years, 2008, 2009. Fresh out of university, uh, the whole financial world implodes. I and everyone else I know lose my job. So I'm in New York City. I can't make rent. Um, I spend. I decide to move out to the Midwest, about three hours outside Chicago, just because the cost of living was low, and I had some opportunities there. Mm-hmm. With my last hundred dollars of disposable income, I bought a booster box of Magic cards. Mm-hmm. A box about mm-hmm. yay big mm-hmm. with a random assortment. I uh, got a few lucky pulls from my, you know, they're like chests. If you don't know Magic the Gathering, it's just random packs that you open. And you get a rare and some commons and some stuff in between. Yeah. Sometimes you get like, a, you know, a diamond or a foil or, you know, whatever the equivalent is. But the idea. So I was like, okay, you know what? We're going to gamble. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Uh, but the idea behind Magic, in case anybody doesn't know how the game works, is you have to, you have to build decks, correct, in order to uh, compete against other players. And, uh, the strength, right. the, I, I never really played much, but I mean, I understood the concept. I had friends who played, and I played a lot of World of Warcraft and games like that. Um, so, Well, we're going to get to World of Warcraft in just a second. <laughs> um, you, nailed, you nailed it when you said that um, you, know, you kind of have to build a deck to get competitive. Yeah. And uh, I kind of, you know, it's just like my catchphrase on stream has quickly become, you know, do the math. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so... I was like, okay, well, what decks are good right now in the local tournament scene? Mm-hmm. So there were three stores in town. Uh, it became four when I opened my own. Sorry to spoil it, but uh, it's good to know where this went when I started to see where it kind of ended up. So I, would, I found a deck that cost about $150. I traded my way into it with the cards I had just bought. Mm. And then I had no job, no anything, mm-hmm. no resources. I was like depressed, and like massively overweight, and just in a terrible, terrible place in life. Mm. Uh, kind of by my own making mm-hmm. no excuses on that one but you know i had i was like i remember the moment that was like more or less rock bottom and mm-hmm. i was like okay mm-hmm. if it gets much worse than this i'm you know there's no coming back from. so this is the moment was, you know we got to try to turn it around so i traded for that deck i used all my spare time to play i didn't have anyone to play against sometimes so i'd play against an imaginary opponent playing through like thought experiments and case studies trying to find out how quickly i can kill somebody trying to figure out what happens when my opening hand is just absolutely unplayable and I'm basically stuck with half of a hand. As a result, I started winning tournaments like crazy. And I did. I won a game where I basically had half of a hand to start the game. And I was playing as like a, a young teenage kid who was really, really arrogant for no reason. Hmm. And no one really liked him. Mm-hmm. And he was always really stone-faced and mean. And as soon as he saw my, my situation... He just started being like, oh, man, you're so done. The match is over. And I'm like, hey, we'll see. We'll see. Mm. I beat him with the four-card hand. Usually you have seven. 
I beat him with the four card hand because I got lucky, do the right things, played tight. And then this, this is like the worst moment of my life. He started crying when he lost. The match. <laughs> no one ever saw this kid break, but I broke him. Yeah. Wow. Because all I had was time. All I had was time and brain power. I've been playing magic for ages. I've been learning how to do tech work. Um, I had studied a lot of finance. I got some um, stockbroker certifications. And I wanted to go into finance, but then the finance world collapsed, which directed me back to my passion of magic, mm-hmm. which led to me doing this tournament thing. So I started winning. I crushed tournaments at the local scene. I literally became like the end boss of every tournament because I just had so much more resources in terms of time to practice mm-hmm. and experience that my lack of money didn't matter. You know, I figured out what resources I had more of and less of and just I kind of looked at it like a system and optimized for what I had mm-hmm. to get the thing that I wanted, even if the ratio sucked. You know, think about like a car or a bicycle with a gear. If you're trying to go up a mountain on a bicycle in um, a really high gear, your wheels are going to try to spin really fast and mm-hmm. you won't get any um, ability to climb. But if you drop that gear down way low and you put everything you have into each step, that gear ratio is going to shoot you up that mountain by, you know, doing the magical force multipliers that it does. Mm-hmm. I did the same thing with magic. I said, okay, what do I have? I have nothing but time. You know, my girlfriend was at work all day, working long hours. I had, I didn't want to go back to working retail, though I eventually did. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just grinded it out, man. Every every day I try to find a tournament. If there's five in a day, you know, I drive to one three hours away to play for bigger prizes. And eventually I got enough cards from my winnings to build the best deck in the metagame. Mm. which cost about five times as much as my starter deck did. But mm-hmm. it was a way more technical, complex, controlling, long-form deck. And I knew that if I could get to that deck, I had the play experience and the, the play style to just absolutely dominate with that particular strategy. My only bottleneck was the money. And instead of trying to get a job, I started trading. I remember the day that my friend was short on cash, Mm-hmm. Or sorry, um, when I was short on cash, I was hungry. I'm talking about going up against like I don't have any money. Maybe call my parents to bail me out a little bit, but like I don't come for money like that. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, how do I get the most calories for my dollar? Advice my dad gave me. He was fixing buses as a diesel mechanic when he was like that age. Mm-hmm. He's like, listen, just do what it takes to make the money. You'll get through it. Just you know, get calories, get calories, get calories, and. So I started trading magic cards for cheeseburgers and damn, damn straight, not kidding. Um, I started trading magic cards for French fries. You know, I bought somebody's magic card collection at a Denny's restaurant off of the interstate in the American rural Midwest mm. at three in the morning while eating pancakes and drinking beer. It, mm. Not my finest moment, but definitely one of those things where you realize how deep you're in. Yeah. So I, I, I quickly came to put it together that, Okay, magic cards are basically cash because I know everyone in the local community. Mm-hmm. They trust me, they respect me, they know I'm fair. It all clicked when one day I read a tournament report. This is probably like late 2009. I had just signed up for Twitter. That's like the, the, level, the level where at. Bitcoin hadn't been invented yet. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's crazy how long ago it was, but I read a tournament report. This is before they were even streaming video for magic tournaments. And it said, hey, this one strategy did really, really well, and it used this one card where no one had ever used it before in a way that no one's ever used it before. 
I took one look at that tournament report, <clears throat> took a look at my trade binder, was like, well, I have none of these. Mm-hmm. Kind of made some mental notes about who had what in their trade binder. You know, I kind of like, if I'm in a market, I just keep this like mental, like neural network, not neural network, like a state network of just kind of what's going on. I can't tell you what everyone has, but I can say he's not likely to have that for trade or I haven't seen that in his collection. Right. And so obviously an NFT, the same skill set is one-to-one portable from one to the other, which is kind of why I was able to do what I, what we're about to describe. Sure. Um, I didn't have to reinvent any wheels. It was really just um, a few things to modify it. And those few things took like six months. Uh, to get back to magic, I bought a bunch of those cards. I think I bought like, eight or 16 of them. I needed four for myself to play with them. And then I thought, okay, well, they were a dollar each. I went into the store the next week after I got them and I traded them out. I think I valued them at about five times what I bought them for. Now that's a crazy profit margin. I'd never seen anything like that in my entire life. I don't, um, I'd never run a business or done any like real trading before. Sure. Yeah. That's always, I realized I just made five. No, I was just going to say, that's always like the first uh, hook that gets people yeah. uh, addicted to these types of things. That's what Profits. got me hooked. Yeah, there you go. Profits. Like, so yeah. when you start to realize like, hey, you know, this yep. thing works, that's when you get real addicted to it. Yep. Yeah, go ahead. Continue. Yeah, you're dead on. That's exactly what hooked me. Yeah. Um, as soon as I realized that this be, this was money, Yeah. magic cards were just money, <clears throat> that's when everything I'd learned up until that point clicked in for me. So this is where we're now going to go back <clears throat> 10 years prior, which is 20 years ago, which makes me feel old to say that, <laughs> but I started early. Okay, I, I, I've been doing this since before I was <clears throat> a legal adult, a physical adult, a fully functioning human being. I just like earliest memories of our stacking and sorting baseball cards. Mm-hmm. It's a sickness. I don't know what to say. Mm. I don't know. My grandfather was yeah. like, what is this kid doing? My parents were like, hey, at least it's not drugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The point remains. Yeah. So I was a weird kid. I had all those hobbies. Um, baseball cards, magic cards. Then a little bit of a layoff in high school as I, you know, just kind of built like computers and learned how to do tech and played some sports badly for the most part. After I went to college, I went to college in the states, and um, you know, not too far from where I'm from, New York. And uh, everyone in my uh, in my hall played magic, mm-hmm. like. At least half of them. So I, I immediately rekindled. Went, you know, I I didn't go as hardcore as I did the first uh, ten years later. I just wasn't in a place in my life where I knew how to do that. But I went hard as you know, as well as a you know nineteen year old can do who just loves battling monsters. Mm-hmm. So of course I took it seriously. But like I was you know university, I didn't have time to make it into a business. After university, graduated, real life kicked in. Um, so I have, I have this basis of tournament play, got some really good coaching from some really good players. And um, just for some context, this is the story that we're about to tell about Axie and NFTs. So you can just kind of sub in Axie for magic is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. right, right. In most regards. So the key to my, my magic business working was that, that multiplier. Most businesses don't get the ability to buy inventory and flip it for 5x. I realized that that's the way to, to riches. You know, I read uh, or I listened to Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. It's a good book. On the way to a tournament where I was driving, I don't know, five, six hours to yeah. play. And that's also around the time I realized that I missed the cut to uh, top eight for a playoffs in that tournament by 
0.01 percentage tie breaks. My record in any other tournament would have made me a top seed, but that's when I realized the difference between making $2,000 and $50 was a worse chance than a coin flip. And I realized I spent all weekend to get nothing. Mm-hmm. Next time I played, I got knocked out in like the you know first half of day one, spent the rest of the weekend trading and went home with thousands of dollars in my pocket profit. Mm. Like, okay, well, this is an easy call. Done, no more competing. I'll play yeah. to keep my head in the game. I'll play for fun. I'll play to win. If I win money, great, but like my real profit's gonna come from my engine that I build. You know, what Tim Ferriss taught me how to build. Build something that doesn't require you to touch it once it's running. Yeah. I come from a family of engineers. And as soon as someone explained business to me like an engine, I was like, okay. It's clear. Business. business. Right. It's clear as clear as freaking day. Yeah. All right. Well, what's the what's the gas? The gas is resources, money or stock. You know, what's the what's the catalyst? The catalyst is customer demand. What's the supply? It's your fuel tank. You know, easy, easy, easy stuff. Compression ratios, things like that. You know, it's not like I wasn't trained to do this, but I just I picked up enough from my family and my reading. It's so take, almost you know, intuitive. Old school. Yeah, it's intuitive just because I was raised around it. Um, it's probably in, in the blood too, just because you know. But it, I'm working with conceptual level stuff, not like the hardcore stuff that you know my ancestors worked with, like raw computer science with vacuum tubes. You know, kind of trying to stand on the you know, squat on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just all became intuitive when I said, okay, well, my finance certifications, I know how markets work. I know how derivatives work. I know how all of that stuff works, you know. And then I saw what happens when it doesn't work. Okay, finance, now I understand part of the engine. Magic, well, I know magic stone cold. Okay, that's, that's like the car. That's what we're trying to power overall. Then... The interpersonal stuff, like trading, I've always been just that's that plays to my extroverted personality type. So I had to learn tactics like negotiation mm-hmm. and um, advanced body language reading and psychology, all of these things. You know, I just I love to read. I read constantly, I read fast, I take notes, I'm a big old bookworm. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of learned all these tactics over the years. And that just, you know, those are performance tweaks to the engine that you know, make them start easier, make them run more efficiently, smoother, quieter, etc. So every one of these little skill sets started to lock into place. All these concepts started to get more and more refined. Um, I started getting paid to write about magic cards more and more, up to a couple hundred dollars an article. Paid my rent with that. Worked a retail job to keep the bills um, from piling up. Brutal stuff like car broke down, can't fix it, middle of the winter. Stuff that's like from a cartoon. You know, I felt like I was living in a cartoon. It's like, okay, I just keep getting my ass kicked over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Keep getting set back. I just kind of realized it was because I wasn't on the right path. And then each time I was being nudged towards the right path or being reminded. Like when I was walking across a parking lot at 6 in the morning to go to a job I hated that I had left at 10 p.m. that night, selling computer, fixing computers for dumb people when I wanted to be building empires, like yeah. that sucked, man. Yeah. That sucked. So finally, I used what I learned working in retail to start my own magic retail store. Did it on a bootstrap budget. Didn't have like maybe 15 grand. Uh, 18-month trial commercial lease. Um, it was really interesting 18 months of my life. But I also realized, well, what would Tim Ferriss say? He'd say, no. It's not sustainable. It doesn't work for you while you sleep until you have employees. Yep. And also, it doesn't give you that force multiplier like a gear does. It's like a steady engine that will never, you know, it's like a rocket engine that will only get you so far without another booster. And I realized the biggest bottleneck was handling these physical cards, manipulating them, pricing them, and all of that. 
Uh, I prototyped an early version of a computer vision software that would snapshot a card and uh, match it with a card in the database. Mm-hmm. Uh, it worked like garbage. It was literally held together by tape. But uh, five years later, we actually built that into fully functional card scanning technology. I could take a magic card and I could wave it in front of this camera if my software was running. This was a magic card. Mm-hmm. Bing, it would ding like you're checking out at the supermarket, tell you what card it is, everything you need to know about it. Mm. Um, so things like that I started developing as I was trying to build my own store out. I had tens of thousands of dollars of cards that I didn't know what they were, didn't know where they were, and really I needed to sell them for operating capital. They're what we would call dead stock. And that's just um, your money decaying a slow death and doing nothing for you but costing you more money. Mm-hmm. But I bought magic card collections, and I'm talking about like tens of thousands of cards stacked like, boom, yeah. this high. Yeah. Huge, like cubes of cards. Um, I have a permanent like hunch in my neck from sitting there sorting through them, which is why I made that stupid scanner so I my neck stopped hurting. Right. It worked. And then everyone wanted to buy it because their necks freaking hurt too. Mm-hmm. And their employees kept mispricing their, their assets and blah, blah, blah. So I prototyped that from my store. I prototyped a system that would go aggregate all the offers for magic cards on the internet to purchase them from players. Made a price aggregator for myself. Then I realized I was having 20 tabs open and every single card, I had to go through every single tab and manually input things to shopping carts and blah, blah, blah. This was me selling my inventory to bigger merchants that I also had a pre-existing relationship with. Mm-hmm. So I was a big inventory supplier for them. We, you know, Again, we grew to get each other's work rhythms. We grew to gain trust. And then as I became more public by writing, that trust only got uh, amplified more and more and more. So the retail store was cool. I learned a crap load about tournament organizing, which has been great for our work in esports. Um, sales, of course. And then after 18 months, my lease was coming up and the business model just sucked. I was chained to the store 16 hours a day. And there was just a whole bunch of nonsense, like moving around cardboard is a terrible business model hmm. for somebody technical. It's just infuriating because the most... It's like you're trying to performance tune a 30-year-old carbureted RV engine instead of working on like a turbojet. And ask me how I ask me about trying to performance tune a 30-year-old carbureted RV engine because all I'll say is I don't know and the mechanic couldn't figure it out either and it broke and it's dead now. Right. So like that's why I didn't want to spend all my energy moving magic cards because you're never going to get around the fact that you have to transport like physical atoms and mm-hmm. matter somewhere mm-hmm. else. Like crypto is pure information. It's on the electron level. When you think about it physics wise, collectible cards now no longer make sense. Mm-hmm. We've already, we've, we've solved that problem. You want a physical asset. Okay. Burn the token, send it to a 3d printer that mints the physical card, reverse the burn. And then you have a token. Hell yeah. Easy. You know? So, so I, I realized as soon as Bitcoin came out, I was like, okay, this, this is going to be a thing. It was 2010. I didn't make like billions of dollars. I'm not like a multimillionaire. I'm not crazy rich. Mm-hmm. Um, in a great place, very successful as far as I'm concerned and growing. But like, I don't want people to think that like I just hit the lottery on Bitcoin and it all is on easy streets. Quite the opposite. Many, 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 many FOMOs over the last decade where I should have been a billionaire if I had just bought Bitcoin and did nothing. Yeah. So, yeah. Then, so then how did you, how, did, as did, what was the, uh, the initial point where you found out about Bitcoin and, because I know there's 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 ties to uh, Magic the Gathering and oh, exchanging sure. of it. I mean, I've heard so much about Mount Gox. Mount so there Gox. was like an online exchange of these Magic the Gathering cards. Were you somehow involved in that? Uh, it sounds like, you know, you were definitely involved. So Mount Gox was not Magic-related. 
No, really? For the majority of its life. It was originally meant to be Magic the Gathering Online Exchange. Yeah. But whatever happened to it became nothing related. Yeah. I had money on Mount Gox, and, you know, me and my colleagues saw the writing on the wall and got the hell out of Dodge. Oh, really? Didn't lose anything on that one. Yeah. <laughs> what was the red flag? Yeah, was I was like, like, okay, listen to the millionaire friend who's bailing out his money from Mount Gox. Follow his lead. Trust your intuition. Yeah. Bye. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah. And uh, Bitcoin, one of my magic friends actually told me about it. We saw it on Hacker News, which is a um, techie blog. Mm-hmm. I took one look at it, and um, I felt the same way I did when I saw Ethereum in 2013. I was, to quote one of my mentors, I was like, well, that's clearly the future. There's no doubt that this is going to work one day. And what it's worth doesn't matter, because this is this idea. If no one does anything with this idea, I will take it and do something with it. I am the user of last resort for Bitcoin or Ethereum. Mm -hmm. Like, if it's worth zero, I'll still use the protocol to run my stuff. I'll monetize it some other way. Mm -hmm. That's why I like the blockchain world is because I have so much sovereignty as an individual with tech skills. Exactly. Not just me, anyone. I'm yeah. a proxy for the, the average ambitious tech nerd, I would say. Mm-hmm. If I don't like what's happening in this world, I can just build a new sandbox. Um, another mentor called that costless secession, as mm-hmm. in I don't cause damage by leaving. I don't start a fuss on the way out. You know, I kind of treat my personal life the same way. If like a friend or a partner disrespects me, I'm not going to start shit. Um, it's going to be out. Like once I know I'm done, I'm done. So, you know, that's what we, we like to see in crypto is like hard forks that are non-contentious. It's just two people going their separate ways. Yeah. It really mimics human behavior perfectly as far as I can tell. And, you know, and, and there have been a few tough times with uh, certain games lately that have since resolved themselves well. But there was a time when I was like, shoo, what do I do if this goes down in flames? And I talked to my team and I'm like, I mean, we hard fork it and we do it ourselves. That's like nuclear last resort. But, you know, it's better than having no last resort. And just the threat of a last resort prevents it from happening in general, mm-hmm. kind of like nuclear standoffs. Kind of like the move Sirius in Axie, which uh, a tournament player can explain. <laughs> Standoff so, with who, uh, who will spend or not spend their energy and steal it from the other one. So did you end up doing any so, uh, hard forks at that time? No, 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 no. I, we haven't had to do anywhere near anything that drastic. It's just been times where we saw an issue that could take something down mm-hmm. and we just needed to know we were hedged against it. Okay. So to loop back to the magic thing and put a capstone on that, I realized that I could make more money selling all the tools I built for my store to other people instead of running a damn store myself, which immediately clicked into Tim Ferriss's words. And I was like, uh, okay. I watched the Facebook movie called, um, social network, the social network. Yeah. And I was like, I wasn't attracted to like the partying and the glory, but like that sense of uncovering this massive innovation that's existed mm-hmm. potentially forever. But, mm-hmm. only, but like that was the guy who figured it out. I was like, shit, that's what I live for. I live for that moment when I switch something on that's never here. You know what? Hold up. Everyone who's signing, everyone who's watching this needs to sign an NDA, okay? By watching this, <laughs> I promise not to tell anybody on the internet. Right. Okay, no screenshots. I'll know. All right. This is the AR prototype. Oh man, there it is. Yep, yep, we saw that. Yeah, we saw that. I wonder on... if the battery. Yeah, no one's seen this version though. This is the oh, new hardware. Oh, I see. Hey, there we go. <laughs> Blinding light for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, if, if since you got it, since you brought it out, man, like yeah, go ahead and talk about yeah, it. Yeah, talk about want. it. Ex- explain what that is. Well, I'll, I'll I'll tease a little bit because I yeah, want to yeah. talk about it. Okay. It's demoable because it's too it's 
impossible to explain intuitive as soon as it's in your in your sight or in your hands. Okay. Yeah. So I'm actually just going to tease it. Yeah, That's cool. it. That's the whole unit. That that can light up the side of a two story building at night. Damn. That can make an HD image the size of a uh, a small ball on your hand. Right. Anything in between. It's got a camera that can track objects, including trading cards in real life, trading cards on a giant projection screen, balls flying through the air, players on a sports team. The camera and the projector are calibrated so that you can display anything you want on those things. There's no headset. There's no mounted cameras. You can use mounted cameras and projectors to create a more immersive experience. But what you just saw there, I'm not like untethered. I'm not like this. This is it. Yeah. You know, all these wires will actually disappear once I go to China and OEM this thing. Sure, sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, active shout out, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's got like an, um, basically it's got a phone kind of hardware, Raspberry Pi built sure. in. So it's got like the accelerometer, so it knows which way you're tilting it. Right. The projector has something that calibrates the angle so that when you're sh- like on like a wide angle shooting at a wall, yeah. it's going to be like this. It can auto-correct itself to like snap, snap. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't even know the projector could do that until it did it and I flipped out. Yeah, yeah. I was like, ah, sorcery. <laughs> yeah. There's a wall. Yeah. The touch screen, everything. It's just, it's what AR needs to be. Did you develop that on your own, or did you have work with uh, yeah. another team? No, this is this is this is just me, man. This is just the way I could get out of my head for the last five years. <laughs> wow. Um, my my business partner supported me in terms of like giving me a few ideas and um, kind of green lighting using some company money to buy hardware because we could overlap with other projects. But like, mm-hmm. no, man, this is this is my this is my brainchild. This is my baby, and this is. Mm-hmm. What, this is why I'm working for it all. This is what Axie is going to get me to. This is what NFTs is going to fund. If I make a million dollars on Axie and things go well, maybe I will. Mm-hmm. That million dollars is going into getting that thing OEM'd. I can take a bus to Shenzhen, China mm-hmm. and get this thing OEM'd tomorrow. Right. right. If I draw this back, if I have the capital. So who are you? Who would that's your, the grand uh, vision? Your customers playing being. Counter Strike on the side of a building in a dark city. Oh, hell yeah. With a hundred people holding these. Hell yeah. With projectors and cameras mounted like turrets. With giant <laughs> projectors lighting up the size of skyscrapers. I mean, this is city scale augmented reality we're talking about. Yeah. And this isn't 10 years away, man. This is like a year or less of hardware and software hacking with a team of three to five really good engineers. Six months to 12, not bullshit, 12 months Yeah. for OEM prototype working, 4G built in, 5G built in, and you mass produce them and put them into the hands of 100 people in the same room, and all of a sudden you've got a brand new sport and a brand new industry. Damn, so this is what gets me going in the morning is, yeah, man, I, I think we can pull it off. I really think we can do it. Esports is the perfect transition. So the magic thing kind of came to a close when – well, it opened up and then kind of came to a close when I turned all my physical inventory into cash mm-hmm. and got paid to consult somebody to build their retail store and then went full-time into build, teaching myself how to program because I only had kind of a basic intuition about it from my parents. But like going hard, building my first prototype for this software that would help Magic players get like massive liquidity on their collections that never existed before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That kick-started the whole wave of people who basically functioned as like intermediate middlemen between the average player who didn't know what was up and these huge multi-million dollar vendors who need inventory. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a while. Lots of people did. I wrote articles about how to do it for many years, et cetera. Kind of, but we all together built an industry on t- a layer two kind of on top of magic. All the while, 
hearing about Ethereum, investing in the Ethereum presale. I will tell you my Ethereum presale story another time. But I watched Ethereum go to a grand and couldn't do a thing about it. Oof, and then watched it drop below 100 and couldn't do a thing about it. And then one day something very, very strange happened. We'll save that for next time. <laughs> needless to say, I, I, I have some of it now. Okay, so there's a happy so, ending on that story then. It's not just... Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> why I can afford to do what I do with Axie. Awesome. Um, like, oh, yeah. you know, I, the, the software company I started out of my Magic store has since sold a million dollars worth of software to Magic players and stores, including the card scanner, enterprise-level data services, data aggregation, um, computer vision software, paywall content, uh, paywall discord, and... Uh, few other magic tools that don't really need to be named. Mm-hmm. But basically, it's a complete suite of tools for a, a CCG player to manage like all their everything. They get mass liquidity. They get the efficiency of scale multipliers by using you know, process automation technology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of when I realized that me and the people I work with, it's software is in our DNA and systems is in our DNA. Markets, that's in our DNA as well. And when I discovered... I, when I discovered crypto was reviving itself in 2017, like that summer, I went a little bit deeper. Still didn't have my Ethereum money, but I threw in a couple grand from selling the last of my Magic cards. That did really well, obviously, over the winter. Uh, got me through some trying financial times as I relocated like three times within Asia in the span of like a year. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized, oh crap, Bitcoin and Ethereum can bail me out of trouble. How do I build a business on this that's redundant against the software business that I run for Magic? in case magic has problems. And I hedge against the physical using the digital, which is a question that I think everyone should be asking right now. Mm-hmm. So long story short, software company still running, still growing. We have a machine potentially coming out soon with a partner that will sort magic cards for you. It's a robot arm that does kind of this. Mm-hmm. And it's powered by our image recognition technology. And uh, hopefully we will be the exclusive sale partners for that sometime in Q3. So okay, um, hold on. Can I, can, I, can I stop you there? So it. so it's it's basically it's sure. it's like robotics that does sorting uh, for the individual cards. Isn't that like a huge problem that Amazon's trying to figure out with their uh, their yeah, FBS but, system? Like, yeah, but they have like different size. Well, yeah, you know, products. But is there any way this uh, is applicable to that? There's that? a reason that a competitor of that product just got funded by Y Combinator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I'm getting at. Like, yeah. this is like a major problem that even big mega oh, corporations like Amazon. We know. We've been out. chasing the, uh, the the physical automation bug for ten years. Yeah, yeah. But the hardware and the software hasn't been there until basically now. Mm-hmm. So we we try to be on the cutting edge of all that stuff, and I also try not to think about how much I want Amazon to buy us out one day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, yeah. Jeff, if you're listening, coffee. I got some stuff you might be interested in. Let's talk space. Let's talk asteroid mining when I'm done with this AI. I mean, we just right? need to text I got, some, Jeff. I got some ideas. Pass it, pass it along forward. Tweet, I'll tweet at him. Yeah. <laughs> him I gave him a shout out on the cast. Yeah. You think I'm joking, but I'll do it. And he might respond. Yeah. I got the CEO of Binance to respond when I told him I had I, I got uh, 400 milliseconds on his CAPTCHA, which I think is a world record. Oh, yeah. He responded. <laughs> got, his, it got his attention. Yeah. And that's all I'm trying to do. That's awesome. So all this led to me discovering crypto again, reinvesting, taught myself how to write an algorithmic trading bot using the same programming language I built my other tools in. The bot was really good. The algorithms were really, really clever, but I, my lack of experience showed because I couldn't figure out how to hedge against big downturns. Like it was arbitraging 
dollars per minute by a number of innovations I don't really want to share. Mm -hmm. But the problem was that as soon as there was a big like secular bear market or just a big crater on that asset, mm -hmm. the bot didn't know what to do and I'd get blown out. So a day's profits were erased in a second. And I realized like this is a zero sum game. I hate zero sum games. And there are people who will always be better at this bigger, better funded, smarter, more of them than me. Mm -hmm. Good lessons here. Tons of tech I can reuse. So it sounds like I need to focus on more on NFTs. I knew what NFTs were. And as a magic player, they were obviously you know, clearly the future. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I realized I had to stop doing algo trading, that was like the natural extrapolation, the natural next step. So I did some research. The Axie guys hit me up on Twitter, and apparently Jiho, uh, one of the uh, founders, said that he rallied. Once he saw my background, he was like, he rallied the entire Twitter to spam me with articles. So of course I read, I binge read them all in two hours, and mm -hmm. two hours later bought my first team and was like, okay, this game is going places. Especially because they're introducing like the MMO element in a year or two with land gameplay. Mm -hmm. It's got a long, long, long chain of potential evolutions of the game. So. Saw the game and just every time I saw more, I doubled down, doubled down, doubled down. And now I'm all in. Like legitimately all my crypto is in NFTs right now. Oh, wow. Or money that is allocated for NFTs. Mm -hmm. I take some cash out when ETH rises to pay some bills, take some of the heat off of my other projects to pay me. And mm -hmm. uh, I live cheap. So that's, a, by the way, if anyone's thinking about relocating or doing a startup, Southeast Asia is the place to be. DM me if you want to know more, but I, I can't recommend this region enough for anyone, but especially a Westerner starting a company out here. It's just why, why is that? Tell me no better. Tell me about why. Cost of living is in the bottom third of the world, okay. uh, especially Hanoi. Um, it's a modern first world city, honestly. Yeah. 1.5 world. Uh, I can take taxis for like two US dollars, mostly around my neighborhood food is really cheap and good uh weather is great right it's the middle of winter right now and i decided it's a bit chilly so i closed my windows and turned on the heat right. it's like that if you're from a winter climate um so yeah i can live i, I don't i don't really i don't drink i don't party i don't have a lot of expenses except like tech stuff for my hobbies and work um furnishing my apartment with cool plants and art and my rent you know mm-hmm I try to live simply but well on as little money as I can without killing my uh, quality of life. Right. And this region lets me do that <clears throat> because costs are low. And by paying just a little bit more than the basic floor rates, you get like way I, I pay probably 30% more for my apartment than I should, but I get twice as much as I would get for 30% less. Mm -hmm. Considering I don't have many other expenses, it's obvious that I should pool my resources into that one thing. Right. It's almost like quadratic voting for personal finance, but I'm not going to nerd out too hard. <laughs> I guess yeah. it's too late for that. But. Yeah. So yeah, that, then the Axie happened. Um, you can breed Axies together. They have um, genes just like real animals. You breed them together. You get a semi-random offspring based on the parents. And I realized that there were two things I could do. I could automate the manual process of clicking which ones to breed and submitting all the MetaMask transactions. And I can automate the task of decision-making. Two decisions you need to make. How good is a given pair of two axes? And how good is that pair compared to other potential pairs with either of those axes? Mm. This algorithm broke my brain, broke my body, and broke my spirit for months. It was so freaking hard to get my head around. Just getting to the point where what I could I told you in two sentences was, was even a concept. But by reducing it down to those two, like, 
raw numbers is what I did. Just quick, quick question based on question. So um, how do you determine whether an Axie is, has good properties or not? Like what, what about an Axie has like valid, valid properties uh, in terms of like scarcity or value or gameplay? Like what, what is it about an Axie? That was a perfect question. Um, and I'll answer it with a visual when I can scare, uh, share my screen in a sec. Yep. And I'll answer it with an explanation. Um, what makes an Axie good is subjective. What we care about is how good is it from a tournament point of view. Collectible Axies like Mystics are great, but you don't get Mystics you buy and hold. You know, mm -hmm. Same with aesthetic Axies that look cool. You don't really do anything with them. Okay. But tournament Axies, if you're, if you're like trying to be a pro eSports player and you want to be an Axie champ, you get three Axies on a team, each of which have four potential attacks based on their body parts. That's 12 different moves you can have on three different axes. Okay. Some of them require the moves to be paired. Like one says, when you combine this plant move with a water move, you get this bonus. Mm -hmm. They must be on the same monster. However, others say, when you use two of these on separate monsters, same attack, like two bugs that have like antennas, mm -hmm. when you play both of them at the same time, you get a bonus. So we had to account for that, and we had to account for a bunch of other factors to create a rating system. Now, the key in Axie is to get the exact uh, 12 cards that you want in your, quote, deck, which means you have to have the exact right three axes with those four-part com four combinations. Combinatorial math really, really, really sucks in terms of, like, getting your head around it and getting what you want. Mm -hmm. Because when you take 100-and-something Axie parts across four different slots, across three different axes, getting the exact combo you need is damn near impossible. We realized that from day one, that, like, there were specific combos that were going to be insane, which you'll probably see on our stream soon that are like literally unbeatable if you play them correctly, mm -hmm. but no one's playing them because they just don't have the axes. It's like right. in magic. If you said, okay, well everyone should play with black Lotus, but they only a thousand people can own them, which is basically the case. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why they banned black Lotus in all tournaments is because mm -hmm. there's just no way for it to be egalitarian. It's OP. It, you can't even pay to play it. Pay to play is fine. And as long as it's done correctly, but you can't force people to pay thousands of dollars for something that they can't, that doesn't even exist. Hmm. So we realized very quickly, we need to be able to breed these monsters in huge quantities. So I bought probably 1500 off the marketplace, off of people in bulk deals of a hundred, all prices, all qualities, um, scattershot. I basically just became a market maker, which is kind of my playbook. I knew that if I had everything, I couldn't be wrong, and I don't think I would ever lose money on any Axie I sold. Now, that prophecy has come quite, quite true because the floor of Axies has probably quadrupled mm -hmm. since they made breeding changes last month. Very, very good change that introduced the SLP currency, which uh, I'll let other people talk about because mm -hmm. there's plenty of good material. Mm -hmm. Short version is it's an Axie-native ERC-20 token that represents its proof of work via play. You play Axie, you win, you get tokens. Those tokens can be used to... Buy more axes, generally from people like me. Uh, evolve your axes, breed your axes, sell them for cash, sell the tokens for cash, not the axes, mm -hmm. or hold the tokens. So we're actually working on a staking model that takes their idea to the next level to fit our needs as a private e-commerce seller. And that actually should be, based on our private conversations, well, that should be its own episode. Talking about like a new ERC standard oh, yeah. and a tokenomics design around what we're doing. Yeah, uh, I need to polish the document before I share it with the world. No, absolutely. So basically, we realized that we, we if we got two thousand axes, 
sorry, 1,000 axes was my math for going critical. Again, it's like building an engine. You need critical mass to kickstart the reaction. That's why when you turn the key in your car's engine, it makes a spark and starts the engine rotating, at which point fuel hits the engine, hits the spark, blows up, and takes that little tiny spin it gave it and starts spinning it like crazy. Mm -hmm. So that catalyst was the axe breeding changes. Recently, that's what made the prices go up. But for us, the catalyst for getting the chain reaction started, a, th a thousand axes, assuming you can breed them all exactly once. Now, some of them we could, couldn't breed at all. Some of them we could breed seven times. Just depends on the axe. But assume you can just breed all 1,000 axes once. You get 1,500 axes. Ten days later, they're ready. They have enough. Um, you've built back up enough experience to breed those 500 and probably the original 1,000 again. So that gives you 1,500 axes breeding, which gives you another 750, which gives you 2,250 axes. So now uh, 10 days, 20 days, 30 days in, you, you're almost doubling your axe count. When you're below 1,000, it doesn't – you don't get the leverage. And so I said, okay, I'm going to buy 1,000 axes. That's the milestone. Mm -hmm. And from there, I'm going to keep buying, and I'm going to start breeding. Very quickly, breeding by hand became untenable. Mm -hmm. The decision-making space for how to combine those moves – intractable mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm built for this stuff i have experience in this stuff i don't know a lot of people who just quite know more about this than i do and it broke me man mm -hmm. like and i knew that would be a competitive advantage is like all of our combined experience plus something that's so hard to replicate um and the good thing is we're basically going to give away the the algorithm piece by piece by showing people what different axes are rated as mm -hmm. we'll get to why and how they're rated in, in just a sec i've got a visualization to show you okay but um Right now, it's just innovation upon innovation to get axes down to a single number that gives them a rating. So short version was we realized decision-making was a huge bottleneck. When you have 1,000 axes, you're comparing axis A to axis, you know, axis 1 to axis 2, 3, 4, 1,000. Axis 2 to 2, 3, 4, 1,000. Mm -hmm. As you get towards the end, you get overlap and you discard overlap because A plus B is the same as B plus A. Mm -hmm. But then you still have to figure out what the optimal arrangement of those pairs is. Because let's say you have two axes that can breed with two other axes. A, B, C, D, A, C, B, D, B, C, A, D. Mm -hmm. I, I did the napkin math on this on the back of a barf bag on an airplane to try to get my brain around. Right. The only reason I can rattle this off the top of my head, I'm not like some math genius. I, I like spent hours reducing all of this down to, to, to like, should I could get my head around? Mm -hmm. And that was like the, the main challenge is just reducing the problems to like where a, a mortal human being can understand it. That's why, that's why I think the Axie guys were so genius is they built a system that can emerge to be so complex without having a shitload of complexity initially built in. Mm -hmm. um, right. Genetic algorithms are magical. People who want to nerd out should definitely Google genetic algorithms and um, guys like Stephen Wolfram. You'll learn so much. And like a lot of what I'm saying here, if it sounds like you know jargon to you, it will be less so once you've just read that because there's just a few key concepts that are not necessarily intuitive to someone coming into this that they just need to be taught very quickly and they'll start thinking like this. And that's why Axie is beautiful is because it teaches people a really advanced method of thinking just like magic did that will help them in other areas of their life. People are starting businesses based on what we taught them to do in magic. Mm -hmm. And now people are starting to start businesses based on what they're learning from us in Axie, the systems thinking, the, you know, we try to coach and mentor people who, who aren't as experienced yet. And we try to learn from the people who are more experienced and then just pass that, pass that down the chain, so to speak, literally and figuratively. 
Sure, sure. So after we figured out that breeding was going to become a major revenue source, it cost about 50 cents to breed an axi. We could sell them for at least $2. Now we can probably sell them for at least 5 However, they cost more to make. That's why we figured let's breed them now while they're cheap and we never know what will happen in the future. Mm-hmm. We went axi by – we went move by move and did a matrix, which I can try to pull up on my screen. So this engine, Ben, uh, essentially – I'll be eventually once this uh, this thing releases, I'll be able to take this engine and with my, let's say I have 50 axes that I've purchased over the, the past few months. I'll be able to submit these axes into this engine and the engine will, will be able to tell me, it's like, all right, out of your 50 axes, you can you can breed them. This is how much it'll cost. And this is the, the resultant axes that you'll get. And it'll essentially optimize what I could extract from these 50 axes. Would that be correct? That is correct. Interesting. And that is how we got to 8,000 axes, actually. Okay. Or sorry, I got that. My personal axie account is about 8,300 right now. About 5% of them are on my separate tournament account, which is and collectibles, which will never be traded or sold. Then the rest is just store stock that we sell from, borrow from, take from, whatever. Our esports team has full access to our library of 10,000 axes um, to borrow indefinitely. Mm-hmm. We only ask in return that they win some freaking games for the team and document what they learn about the axe they borrowed and contribute it to the, the wiki. Okay. Chief is a professional esports coach. He His job is whipping a team into shape. I'm kind of like the Q. Is M or Q? The James Bond guy. Who builds the cool gadgets and Bond gets all the glory? Mm-hmm. That's that's how our relationship is. I get the glory for being the tech guy. Sure. They jokingly call me Elon Stark, and I'm like better than Tony <laughs> Musk, dude. Tony <laughs> Musk. <laughs> yeah, Tony Musk just has a ring to it that I don't really care for. Yeah. <laughs> I think nickname. I think it just kind of stinks. So yeah. I passed on that. But yeah, so all this economic firepower gives us the ability to field the best possible esports team, which is the pantheon group of gods. Then we also pull SLP from our various ways of harvesting it so that our tournament players can breed without grinding SLP. They can focus on what they're good at. They'll naturally win SLP by winning tournament games, Okay. but they'll also be able to tap our reserves so they never actually have to worry about it. Our policy in the company is focus. Like, like make sure everyone can focus on what they're absolutely the best at and make sure that who you get is like absolutely the best they can be at like their one thing. I see. So I'm not. I'm a good player. I'm an above-average CCG player just by function of 25 years of experience and a brain for logic. But like, I'm never going to be as good as these pro players because I don't have the temperament. I don't put in the time. I'm not as fascinated by the thrill of that kind of victory at, over another player as I am about the victory over you know darkness and ignorance creating new technology that didn't exist before. That's what excites me. But I'm excited because my partner understands that about me. And I know that he's the one that wants to hoist the trophy and have the glory. I don't mind standing behind him, you know, clapping gently, knowing that it was a team effort. While sure. he, you know, he, he feeds off of that glory of, of the, the pure victory of the first place. Right. Not so much me, which is perfect because he's going to deal with all the, the esports monkey business. I'll just make sure our economics work and that we have money and we have monsters and that I'm around to hang out and help with you know, project managing all the tech stuff. A good little dev team going right now with some of the big Axie names behind the scenes and building excellent tech. So I figure let's let the esports pros win the games. I'll just, you know, I'll win the markets. Absolutely. Is is an average uh, Axie player, do they have like several Axies or 
or do you think the typical player has like a one or two axes? Like what? What are the? How do? The, how's the distribution like in in the space? If you don't have three axes, you can't play. You need okay. three to form a legal team. So there's a lot of accounts that have three axes that have either been like either bought or been given away or won as a prize. Okay. So you know, we I I see that a lot. Like I find an axie I want to trade for, and it's on some no name address with two other axes, and I'm like, okay, someone who won this and forgot about it. Great, mm-hmm. no way to contact them. Nothing. <sighs> so I'd say. I don't want to conjecture based on old graphs because the, the source I used broke when I actually changed their contract. But mm-hmm. between myself, my partners, and colleagues, we probably own about 20% of all axes in existence. Mm. Oh, wow. I personally, uh, there's about 140K. I own 8,300. So whatever the math is on that, it's I think it's like somewhere between like 5 and 10%, basically, mm-hmm. depending on things. But... I'd say most people have between this is just completely out of air, like a, a couple teams, like between two to four teams, so like a dozen axes. Okay. And like a couple hundred. Then I think you get like that um parabol- parabolic graph where like people like me, you know, not me, sorry, us, our business, the the axie official marketplace, like potentially some open sea contracts, mm-hmm. you know, enterprise level people who are holding above like thousands. Mm-hmm. You've got some whale players that have like in the three thousands, and then multiple accounts. So you know we say we're the single largest holder by address, but there may be people who hold more total axes sure. across multiple accounts. Okay, hey, it's credibility. We'll take it. We're still pretty happy with using all this automation to breed this many axes. So this the, the breeding thing really became real when we started getting close to axe number one hundred thousand. There was a whole fervor in chat to be the guy who bred axe number one hundred. That's the kind of challenge that I like because that's a tech challenge. Sure. The way it works is as soon as you select which two axes to breed together, you press a button, submit the transaction. As soon as the transaction clears the blockchain, the axie is minted, its ID is set, and then the ID count is incremented by one. So I realized what was going to happen was, A, the axie website doesn't update in real time with the chain. Anyone who's looking at the Axie website will have no chance at this because five minutes is the difference between life or death here. Mm-hmm. Second, everyone is going to be manually making their breeding decisions by hand, which mm-hmm. will limit the number of breeds they can make no matter how many Axies they have. Mm-hmm. So my major competitors. Third, they're going to have to click submit on every MetaMask confirmation window, which as anyone knows, if you're trying to submit like 10 transactions at once, you have to wait, spin, for no freaking reason. Actually, I think I do know the reason, but uh, it screwed me a few times. But I figured out how to mass submit MetaMask transactions with two lines of JavaScript. DM mm-hmm. me if you want it. Yeah. Um, the reason it's not an official feature is because it's too easy to do transaction injection. So it's like 1.1111 ETH.1, 100 ETH. Oh, mass confirmed, gone. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's not, I, I'm, I'm in a secure kind of cordoned off environment here. I'm not worried about that attack. Sure. Because yeah. no one's going to know when I'm about to mass submit them all. Um, so what basically ended up happening was once the, uh, once I realized people weren't going to be following on the Axie website because it's too slow, I realized they'll probably be looking at Etherscan, which is a little bit faster, but still not completely, completely, completely real time. The only real time way to find out what Axies have been bred recently is to listen to the contracting layer, which is real time. 
So we set up a WebSocket that would broadcast on the private Discord channel whenever an Axie was born and Britain tell me its ID number. So I can see who is breeding it at what rate. I got a sense of like the whole cadence of the market. Starting around Axie 99,000, 99, yeah. T minus 1,000 Axies. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, at that point, I think we're going to start to see a parabolic increase in Axie breeding. And there's going to be a mad rush to submit transactions at the end, which is going to clog the network. And then it's going to be a random race to see whose transaction clears before whose. Hmm. So I wrote the algorithm to make all the pairs. I wrote the automation to sequence them in the right order. Wrote the automation to submit all the transactions to MetaMask at once. Wrote the automation to confirm all the transactions in MetaMask at once. Once we got to about Axie, oh, and I set the gas above average so it would clear before anyone else's. Hmm. So around Axie 99,000, I started testing it. It wasn't working the right, like the algorithm, the breeding was working fine, but like the timing of the trades wasn't right for some reason. So I tinkered around with it. I set the gas price really low. So I would um, not blow out my bank roll while I was testing stuff. Mm -hmm. And I forgot to set it back before the final run. So my gas in this critical time was like 1.1. If that wow. don't realize it. Cause I'm running on like pure adrenaline, 48 hours, no sleep at this point. Like I'm just watching like a hawk. I'm a crazy person. Okay. No normal person should do what I did. <laughs> right. I stayed up for like, I stayed up late and like woke up early. I slept on the couch. Like just, it's not like I can't walk to my bedroom. It's in the other, it's in the other room. I just, but I still fell asleep on my couch because I'm an animal. Yeah. So I'm not thinking clearly I'm making mistakes and I'm getting frustrated. So I say, you know what, YOLO. We hit Axie 99,500, and I fired off 800 breeds pretty much simultaneously, thinking by the time anyone else even notices what's happening, we'll be hundreds past the target because all my transactions will clear at the same time. Mm -hmm. Boom, done. There's no chance of someone injecting a breed in the middle of my batch this way. Yep. It's like the chances of that happening are basically physically impossible, even if you know how to, do, even if you know when to do it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Ugh, just sitting there, sitting there, and like I'm getting tired just talking about it. My transactions don't go through. Oh, shit. my transactions don't go through. I check and I'm like, oh my god, I forgot to change the gas price on hundreds of transactions. <laughs> I didn't know how to mass cancel them at this point, which is a thing that's actually very easy to do. Just clear your MetaMask history, and it'll override every transaction that hasn't been confirmed yet. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't know that, and I probably wouldn't have thought of it if I did. Um, event eventually, they started clearing, started clearing, started clearing. And that's why I saw the uptick of everyone, that parabolic increase of people firing off breeds to get there. And I was seeing that they were actually interrupting my transactions because they were submitted at the same time, but they weren't clearing fast. Mm -hmm. So there were just people punching holes in my wall over and over and over again. And I'm sitting here like, I'm, I have no more energy left. I'm like falling asleep, and I'm like, at the last minute, I screwed it. I screwed the pooch. I made the one mistake that could, only mistake that could completely undermine this entire three-month process of, of getting Axie 100,000 as a way to launch my breeding algorithm. All I could do was put on like some like Zen Japanese garden music and walk <laughs> away as soon as the counter hit like 99,900. And I'm like, I'm just gonna listen for the Discord sounds. And med I literally sat in the corner meditating until I was sure that we passed looked over sometimes i'm like a little bit dyslexic <laughs> especially on small screens with lots of data when i'm 48 hours sleep deprived 
and I saw Axie 100, what well, I thought was 100,000 to some other guy and me with Axie 99999 mm. and 100002. Oh, shit. And I was like, Ugh, well, at least I got 99999. That's cool. And then I looked again and I cleared the crap out of my eyes and I was like, wait a minute. That guy got 100,001. I got 100,000 and 9999 and the first hundred of the hundred thousands. So it was a huge, huge, massive victory. Everyone yeah. realized like how good our breeding algorithm was. And that's what kind of set the whole thing in chain motion. We started blowing out breeds left and right, just doubled our Axie count twice in the span of like two months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they changed the breeding and they announced the new metagame, I'm trying to figure out how to share my screen. Yeah, if you... Uh... There we go. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Can you guys see this? It's coming up. Yep, we see it. Some like the Matrix kind of like, thing? Yeah, it looks like the blue Matrix. Hmm. Yeah, no idea what I'm looking okay. at. <laughs> you will. Yeah. Okay, so... This looks like some this kind is... of like genetic mapping. Or something, does. Right? Bingo. That's yeah. exactly what it is. This is a visualization of, of how to breed a good axis. Yeah. X-axis and Y-axis are the same parts in the same order, grouped by class and location. So bird mouth, bird back, bird horn, bird tail. Going down the left side and um, across on the top. So where each of those two, where each of the columns and rows meet, that's what these X's are because you can't give a move a rating with itself. Mm. You could if you were talking about pairing it with another Axie with the same move, but I can't. I, I can't go there, man. I, if I try to do that right now, I'll fall apart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's even more complicated, and I just I can't. So This uh, also combines with a pure power rating of a given part. So like this bird mouth is a 5 out of 5 because its raw stats are good. And then this bird mouth combined with this bird tail is really good because they have this overlapping synergy or something. Mm-hmm. So what you're looking at here is the map of the overlapping synergy. Okay. Purples are really good. Uh, reds are no-go or even negative ones or penalties. Like if they have these, your axis is actively worse together. Like defender moves with moves that give your opponent benefits when you get hit, no. No, that's, that's, that is a bad axie that will probably never be good. Just sell it and get rid of it and never breed it. Excise it from the gene pool and be done. <laughs> okay. It's really sad when you realize you have to like call your axie gene pool <laughs> to, to like make them to make them superior. And as and like like as a Jewish person, for real, that actually makes me like a little weirded out, but like I kinda have to because they're my internet monster babies. <laughs> it's like kind of freaks me out, man. I'm doing like internet monster eugenics, but yeah. like it's okay. I love them all yeah. equally. Right. Some are just better than others. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, once I got over my, you know, my moral short, uh, my moral um, qualms about this, uh, I'm going to try to zoom in here. Can yeah. you? Is this starting to get bigger? Yes, yes, it is. Now, does this make more sense? Oh shit! Okay, so, oh, I see. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Talk, so talk, talk through what you think you're you're seeing here, and um. All right, so let's we'll see at... how good I am, how good we are at making it intuitive to someone who doesn't actually know what they're looking at. Yet. Okay. Yeah, so let's look at line 26. It says we have a 30 attack, 40 defense, A rating number 2, S rating number 3. 
and then part is furball. So if we look across, I see a couple fives. So, yeah. So we have beast horn dual blade. That's a five. And then a beast horn imp. That's a five. And then the other five is beast mouth confident. So I'm, I'm guessing that um, these three fives have like an individual axie has a beast, a horn, and a dual blade. What is it, a move or is a type of axie? Yeah, so dual blade is a body part. Um, the move that dual blade gives you, let me back up for people who don't know axes um, in detail. Axes have body parts. Axes are in teams of three. The team of three axes creates a deck of cards when you start the game. Your deck contains two of each card given by a, a certain body part. So in this case, Furball. Um, it does 30 damage, has 40 defense. Mm -hmm. 30 damage is like insanely, insanely, insanely low. But uh, I've hidden this information for ease of use. But look here now, Furball attacks three times. Mm -hmm. So it does 90 damage with 40 defense, which is a pretty balanced move. Good damage is like 120 plus. So 90 is pretty mm -hmm. underpowered, but um, back moves in general aren't nearly as scary as the other moves. They tend to be more defensive and more techy, more combo-y, whereas your tails and mouths hit really hard, your horns can do really interesting things. Okay. Uh, just as a basic guidance. So Furball, it attacks three times. Now it comboed with what was the first one? Dual Blade. Mm -hmm. So for, oh yeah, sorry, Dual Blade gives you the card Sinister Strike. Furball gives you the card uh, Juggle Walls. Mm -hmm. comfortable saying that out loud. Um, <laughs> dual Blade, 50 damage, 50% 50 damage increase when it critical strikes, which means chance to do double damage, and the, the, the chance of that happening is governed by the Axie's morale stack. There's, there's guides to this. You don't have to remember or take notes. Okay. Uh, it was Google it all. On Axie Discord, they have like move guides that Jeff put together that are awesome. We'll be publishing some stuff also to support that from a sort of strategic analysis standpoint. So, okay, why is Dual Blade good with Hero? Why is that a 5.0? Mm -hmm. Two reasons. One, they're both, beats, both beast moves, which means they add morale to the Axie. As I just said, added morale means higher chance to critical strike. Okay. Furball strikes three times. So that added percentage chance applies to each of the strikes. So you're getting a multiplier. The name of the game here is multipliers. Mm -hmm. Getting plus five damage isn't great, but getting plus, um, what? Probably, that's probably double damage there. And each time you critical strike, I believe your dual blade gets another 50% damage. Oh, damn. And it's already doing 130, which is elite. That's why it's red. Yeah. So that's a great combo because it basically everything works together. The stats that they give you for being beast moves make it more likely for you to crit. And furball attacking multiple times gives you more chances to be more likely to crit. And when you crit, dual blade gets a huge damage multiplier. So this combo mm. is sick. I actually haven't tested it yet. Uh, others have, I'm sure. But um, then, for example, we can combine dual blade. Not dual blade, excuse me. Furball the strike three times one mm -hmm. with something that gives another Axie that poisons your opponent because every strike of furball counts as an additional turn, which means each poison 
ticks an additional time per turn, mm -hmm. which means if you have three poison stacks, each of them tick an additional time. Mm -hmm. That's how deep it goes with this. And that's why you need this matrix is to get your eyes around it. Because when we scroll over, I'll show you that um, Furball should have uh, Grass Snake and Yam, which are the two poison move, or Grass Snake, Yam, and or, yeah, Grass Snake and Yam are the two poison moves on Tails. There's one on the back as well, but Furball takes the back slot. As you can see, Furball, Grass Snake here, five. Grass Snake gives poison, as does Yam, which is a plant move. Okay. So that's what a five looks like. Moves that just have like insane, insane, insane synergy. Imp was the other one. Imp, you get an energy when any Axie on your team hits a critical strike. Now, forget the other Axies on your team just for a moment because that, again, really, really complicates things. Your Furball and Imp both give you more morale, which make you more likely to critical strike. Furball gives you more opportunities to be more likely to critical strike. And every opportunity to critical strike is a chance to get an extra energy with Imp. Now, in Axie, getting one extra energy is, like, huge. Mm -hmm. You start the game with three. You get two more every turn. Mm -hmm. You generally want to maximize your usage of your energy. Not necessarily in terms of spending it, like immediately, but when you spend it, getting the most value. There are okay. cards that steal energy from your opponent, so stockpiling energy has its risks. Okay. Um, but so okay, for example, yeah. So that's why Imp is insane. It's one of the only moves that can generate multiple energy pretty easily. Others rely on what your opponent do, like hitting you to break your shield to give you energy. But Imp, all you have to do is smash your opponent, and anyone time you smash your opponent extra hard you get an extra energy so that's basically 50 percent more energy per trigger per turn than you would normally get okay. that's what a five star combo looks like so all of these uh descriptive traits and moves and abilities these are all set in stone and no uh, the only variation is is obviously the breeding of the uh axes right like you just will it never be yeah, like there's uh, no modifiers there's no like modifiers on the moves or parts themselves yet. Yeah. Like if you have dual blade, you have dual blade. You don't have like dual blade of strength, which gets plus 10 damage. Mm -hmm. Like a move is a move is a move is a card is a card is a card. The way you get diversity is which cards you include, whether you put them on the same monster or, or two different monsters. And um, I believe they're going to be adding like item cards in the future too that give you kind of like a generic spell casting ability rather than tying your actions to the three axes. Mm -hmm. But I can't say for sure because I'm uh, not the one making the decisions because I'm not on the official team. Mm. Yeah. If I was making the decisions, hell yeah, of course, that would be great. And yeah. I think that that's where they're going to. So then on top of this, you're so we're talking about individual axes. I'm assuming that let's say your, your axie gets a critical strike, but that particular axie provides an additional plus one energy on your other axes right or has some kind of multiplier effect for your team right right so uh your energy is yours um and you can use it for any axie on your team you want you know? so they don't have their own energy okay okay um imp just checks and if you play imp anytime during that round critical strike from any axie gives you an energy so since it's not shared across axes it literally doesn't matter which one critical strikes um, obviously you want a critical strike with bigger damage moves because then your multiplier gets bigger, but not, um, furball is the exception to that rule because you get multiple triggers. There's only, I think two or three moves in the game 
that have multiple triggers. There are moves that do double damage when comboed, but Twin Tail is the only other one besides Nutcracker that strikes twice. So there's an archetype there where you do strike multiple times, increase your crit chance, kind of okay. like a rogue in World of Warcraft. And um, different species of axes, like the birds and the beasts and stuff, have different kind of base stats. So for an axie like this, either a fast bird to get out ahead of your opponent and just assassinate them mm-hmm. with a low chance of critical strike, or you could use one of the uh, the, the mech class axie, which is a, a really rare one, that has a really, really high skill rating, which means when it combos, it gets a bonus damage per uh, action. Higher bonus damage. So then which, which species you pick has a huge effect on what that axie can do. You wouldn't put like an assassin rogue on a plant species because plants are meant to be defenders and like healers and supporters. Sure. They're slow. They have tons of HP. They can, you know, yeah. they can tank a big boss fight mm-hmm. or, you know, they can be like a druid in World of Warcraft and hang back and off tank and heal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can even go uh, damage style with them and play offensively, but you're still never going to be playing a bird strategy when you're playing with a plant because it just will never have the raw speed of a bird. Right. So uh, hopefully I didn't go too deep down the rabbit hole there. But um, that, that's the complexity of Axie, which makes it so, so, so much fun. So so a lot of this, uh, all, all these, like, <clears throat> the individual Axies, all this ability by the Axies, they come from the, the company, right? You're All you're doing is you're taking the different permutations of the Axies and you're just, you're just optimizing um, which, which Axie would be best for a team versus like you have the other side of axes where you might have a mythic axie but it may not necessarily be the best at a at the actual game itself it's better to to huddle that axie than to use it for a game right that's right um mystic axes are okay if you have mystic axie with really good parts like all four parts fit its role like they're all defender parts or they're all attacker parts and those parts are pretty good, at least average or above, then that Mystic Axie will be baseline playable to any Axie player for any reason. The level four parts, which are unique to Mystic Axies, will be parts that they can evolve over time. Uh, They haven't released level two parts yet, but I'm told that they're very, very close to finishing them, pending the balance of the existing level one. So they'll evolve, they'll get more cool looking, they'll get um, more powerful, they'll do different things, they can branch off. But normal axes will stop at level three parts, whereas mystics have a level four legendary part. Mm. Those are going to have super unique animations and do super powerful things. So they're probably going to be insane in PvP, if not cool for showing off. And there will probably be a, a need for certain mystic moves in like high late game WoW style PVE, which is probably at least a year or two away. Interesting. Then as far as, um, yeah, the Axie team are the ones who make all the decisions about all the gameplay stuff, all the art, that's all them. No community, like, they can take community input pretty well, but, you know, they're, you know, we don't design the, the moves they do. However, we could, because it's blockchain. We could fork the protocol, sure. you know, clone all the Axies, and we can build whatever we want on top of it. And we can do that in partnership with them, or we can do that adversarially against them. Mm-hmm. And when I say we, I mean the theoretical we, not like me sure. and my company. Sure, sure, sure. Um, talking thought experiment. 
thinking adversarially, like what what attack surfaces does that decision expose? Like allowing people to fork your chain because it's blockchain. Like, well, how can someone screw you by doing that to you? Um, and then for me, how can I do that for my own game without screwing someone? Just thought experiments to yeah. uh, help people who maybe aren't that familiar with blockchain realize that it's more about these kinds of game theories or these incentives and um, these alignments. Yeah, it's essentially like, like a Bitcoin hodl, wait for it to go up. Yeah, we, we could fork the Bitcoin blockchain, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're all billionaires, right? Like, you know, it's it's it it really depends on like what you want to do with that forked blockchain that may elicit uh, its own community. And there's a likely chance that you're not going to get a community if you just fork a blockchain. Depends. What yeah, Bitcoin it, Cash. Oh yeah, yeah well that's and that's the point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, there, if the community is not there, then it's worthless. It's worthless, correct. If it's worthwhile, the community would be there. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's, that's right. You know, that's, demo- that's actual like capitalist democracy. Capitalist decentralized democracy, I guess. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm not like a, a big like macroeconomics type guy. Uh, I do believe strongly that decentralization is important in most cases. Uh, but I'll leave that heavy-duty work to the real economists. Yeah, for sure. So when do you think this engine is going to be ready? The breeding engine? Yeah, the breeding engine. I mean, it's ready right now. I, I used it to breed. Well, for the uh, for um, the for the public for public use. That's a good question because we're not really sure. There's a there's a conflict of interest internally here because we all want to do the right thing and help people breed more axes. It's also our competitive advantage above the IA. So we're trying to figure out how to align incentives so that people who breed with it are helping us in some way. And this is where that tokenomics design comes in that we were talking about. That's right. Earlier today, in the white paper draft I sent you. That's right. That's we right. think we know how to do this as like a guild kind of venture, where if you want to be a part of this, you have to opt in, you have to pass a screening, so that there's some basic level of trust and validation, et cetera, et cetera. And then you get access to you know rights such as like you know, borrowing axes or any of those other things we just discussed. Like you want to use a reading algorithm, fine, but like. In the most unselfish, benevolent way possible, what's in it for us? If sure. there's nothing in it for us, then we can't keep the engine going to help more people. And it doesn't have to be, we don't need to be paid for it. We'll make tons of money from our Axie sales. You know, it's fine. We have plenty. What we really need is like more good people, more diversity of stock. So maybe you trade us some Axies at favorable rates or sell us Axies at a discount mm-hmm. so that we give you access to the, um, the tool. We want to govern access to these tools with NFTs, not gaming NFTs, but um, permission NFTs. So think of them like uh, blockchain coupons. If you hold a founder token as an NFT or as a axi.gg, or eventually it's going to be nft.gg. I registered it um, for when we expand beyond axi. Right now we're pure axi though. You get a token based on, you know, if you bought into a pre-sale or if you met certain criteria, it's arbitrary, whatever it is. We'll probably do a pre-sale, but um, I'll explain why it's not a sort of pump and dump ICO in a minute. Or sorry, not in a minute. We're going to say that for the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, quick question. Um, uh, for Axie.gg, how much, how much is Axie.gg the engine itself or is it the entire, uh, the entire tokenomics uh, guild, like what part of Axie GG is like what we've seen already? 
I'm not sure what people have and haven't seen, honestly, but most of it is stuff that we've talked about, but you haven't seen. It encompasses all things Axie that I and my partners are doing, basically. Okay, gotcha. So it's the it's the overall venture. Um, the breeding algorithm is kind of what put us on the map and put us in an economic position to to win because when you breed axes for 0.003 ETH and then you're flipping them for 0.03 ETH, it's, it's not hard to, it doesn't take a genius to make money flipping things for 10 times once you got them. So the way we see it is we have specific needs for our gene pool. If people want to use our algorithm, then we want them to breed to help us. Even if they don't give us the axes they breed or sell us the axes, we're thinking of like a credit system using the NFTs I was about to describe mm -hmm. so that you use our algorithm to breed X axes and then we you know, build up there's X credits on your balance. And then we work out a deal with the individual seller to redeem those credits towards like, hey, we'll pay the SLP for our share of this breed. Let's breed this axie twice and share the eggs or something like that. So instead of paying them for the breed, I can also like cover their costs and by just holding a token in their account that gives them a certain right, which is the right to sell breeds to us maybe at a, at a markup mm -hmm. because perhaps they fronted us cash to buy that token, you know, a discount token, just like, um, like a staking token almost, but in reverse, you get the discount when you spend the token. Sure. So then you can do permissions in terms of tokens that let you get access to discord tokens that give you access to discounts in the retail store tokens that give you access to tools that the average user doesn't have, tokens that give you votes in governance issues. And I cover a lot of this in the white paper, but um, we'll, leave, we'll leave it at that. But tokenizing the rights of a user with NFTs also lets you tie those rights in with other NFTs. So for example, I sell you a team of axes. I can include an NFT that's on our own specific contract that says if you hold this to um, if you hold this token in your wallet and you hold these three axes along with it you get this reward mm. we can bind the NF the utility token to the team to ensure they stay on the same address sure, therefore sure. if you sell the team but not the token the token does nothing and when you do go to sell the team you have every incentive to send the token with it sure you can do that not that that's a good model but i'm just we're exploring all these different ways to use permission NFTs to pair with gaming NFTs. Another one, for example, in Axie land, you know, for uh, anyone who's listening that knows Decentraland, mm -hmm. then you're going to know exactly what's up. Same kind of map, everything. Um, we thought about a situation where a, someone like us owns a plot of land. Like let's say it's like a Genesis plot or something like that. And on that Genesis plot live our three fully leveled up badass mystic axes that is like a final boss level pvp team what we can do is we can bind those axes to that land with a contract that gives them value when they're paired together and then we can challenge people to come walk onto our land to fight our axes in battle walking onto our land gives us revenue as a landowner that's part of axes token money so i won't use it walks on your land for any reason you get money ultimate capitalist's venom-sucking vampire yeah. rent-seeking model I've ever seen, but damn, it works for me. So then people come on. It doesn't like cost the player much, if anything. It just kind of gets generated, I think. But then the player comes on your land. They have a permission token that allows them onto your land. 
they don't have the token, they can't come onto your land, period. Uh, oh. Then they come onto your land, and that's the only way they can challenge your god team. And if they beat oh. your god team, then they get a reward, which you put into a contract that um, yeah. automatically yeah. accepts the team challenge and resolves all of the... You know, it's basically wagering by... by Wagering plus like making it into a fun experience by using land. That's sure. a second space kind of concept. So I have a question on breeding itself. Um, and, and just add on, it's also like another incentive, right? To kind of like claim territory on the land because it hmm. generates you more income the more territory you own and the more axes that are kind of, you want your strong axes to kind of guard your land, right? The, that way it kind of like safe, yep. safeguards your, your income stream, I guess. Is that how it works? So you don't, have to def- you don't necessarily have to defend against other players messing with you. Like it's a pretty cooperative game. Okay. But there, the PVE, there's gonna be lots of world PVE uh-huh. where you can encounter different monsters of different strengths. The higher level the land is, the more valuable the monsters' drops are. Hmm. So there's items that you put on your land to you know spruce them up and make them look cool that also give you passive benefits. So for example, I got some of the really rare ones that give you extra Luna. The Axie native token when axes travel over your land. Mm. So I try to buy as many. I have 600 plus parcels of Axie land right now. I'll, I'll pull it up on the screen. Yeah, okay. so I'm actually pretty proud of what I've built. So going back to breeding a second, how do you, when yeah. you, when they breed, do you, um, do you automatically know what the output is? With this engine, or or is it is it like a random roll when you breed? It's a random roll within certain parameters. The Axie genome has six slots, eyes, ears, um, mouth, back, horn, tail. And each slot has three genes, a dominant, a recessive, okay. and a super recessive. Okay. When you breed two Axies together... The dominants each add a 37.5% chance to the outcome pool. Oh, okay. So about 75% chance to get the dominant part. Mm-hmm. Then the remainder is divided at three to one ratio between dominant, uh, sorry, between submissive and super sub. Um, the genes are it's like probably like a three to one to it's like a three to one, three to one ratio. Mm-hmm. Now in the algorithm, we actually overweight the um, the sub genes. Because we're going for lottery tickets here. So if I see an Axie with a bunch of crap dominant parts, but its backup genes are all good, the algorithm will find that and score that appropriately and say, hey, this is a lottery ticket breed. Like, in your most likely case scenario, the Axie that's most probable to come out is going to suck. Mm-hmm. So it's not deterministic. You don't get the same thing every time. Uh, and the combination space is big enough that if you repeat the experiment a million times using like a Monte Carlo method, mm-hmm. which is just... Monte Carlo is to simulate the same thing a bunch of times and see how it all averages out. Mm -hmm. I did that. I tried to do a breeding simulator and it was just like, it got me nowhere Mm -hmm. because the combinatorial space is so freaking huge. So with breeding, you're playing the probabilities and you're trying to breed towards purity. The more pure an Axie is, for example, it's got the same gene for its mouth in Dom 1, Sub 1, Sub 2. That's a pure Axie for that move. So if you breed that with another Axie, with that same thing, you're going to get that result. The only reason it's random is because your genes are random. Um, players are currently breeding very, very, very close to deterministic Axies. And by deterministic, I mean you know that input equals output every time, same time. Right now it's 
it's semi-deterministic because there's only a certain scope of possible outcomes because of what genes are even available. But once you have perfect genes, then you literally have a factory for producing the exact same axis over and over and over and over and over again, because all the children will be exactly the same as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as far as breeding is concerned, you're playing the math with the parents and you're working to breed down uh, to get less and less variants. Like I've gotten, I got destroyed by the RNG yesterday when I opened uh, a special, special, special breed. Every possible part that I needed to hit, I missed. Hmm. But it's fine because two of my others beat the odds and got awesome stuff. Mm-hmm. Stuff that's probably more important to me in the long run. Mm-hmm. Just hurt my pride, you know, to get to see the <laughs> RNG just stuck so bad. Yeah. So, you know, that's also why we bred at mass scale is because the only way you even out RNG is at scale. Mm-hmm. Just like buying one chest versus 100 chests. Like one chest, you might hit the lottery or you might get garbage. But if you buy 100 chests, that's going to even out. Same with poker. You play enough hands, you get bad beat a few times, but 9 out of 10 times, you don't get bad beat. Mm-hmm. Same principle uh, here with trading. You know, you breeding, trading. It's like sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Just win more often and win a little bit bigger and you're fine. Show us this uh, map here. This map is my Axie holdings of my land. Okay. Uh, about 40 of these are my teammates, um, but the rest are currently mine. The two that I'm most interested in are these 200 plus Savannah Square. Savannah is the lowest tier of land. Uh, they were 0.05 chests in the pre-sale. Now the floor is about two to three times that, with good ones going for four times that or more. Uh, in general, in these CCGs, the cheapest chests tend to sell out the fastest because people can buy huge quantities at once. And that's what these two came from. Uh, I bought these OTC from other Axie players. And um, they're unique because the only way to get a square like that was to buy 100 chests at the same time. So there's only a few um, Axie chests left right now. And they're all in this white region, the Arctic here. Okay. Pink are resource nodes, which is where PVE is going to happen. Monsters will spawn there and then kind of radiate out from there. If monsters are on your land, then or, or resources also like uh, wood and stone, you know, all those kinds of typical RPG resources, those will also spawn. You got 24 hours first crack to harvest and kill whatever's on your land, then it's open season. But if it's open season and people come on your land, remember, you still get paid. So land is this kind of ultimate passive income mechanism that generates Luna, which is Axie's native token. Luna itself is also a passive income vehicle because Luna is a stake. The staking Luna basically disperses the the fees and the rewards generated on the Luna marketplaces. So it's a proof of play plus a staking token at the same time. Mm-hmm. Now I've built up a situation where I'm, I'm pretty diverse. I have this big mystic plot down here. It doesn't look like much, mm-hmm. but this is a huge mystic resource node which means the stuff that spawns here is going to be elite. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 18 plots together. Uh, this little missing one here is killing my soul. <laughs> like, seriously killing me. Yeah. And like, what is this? I don't need this. Can we just can we just trade yeah. these? No. I, we don't even know who owns this piece. But anyway, each of these is probably about one ETH piece on their own. Yeah. Together, I'd probably say each plot was about 1.5 ETH each. So this, this tiny little thing was a major, major investment for me but it's something that I don't anticipate ever getting rid of. Sprinkled all around here are single parcels, which are near resource nodes. You can see that these are the only savanna squares with resource nodes, except for this one. Mm-hmm. 
And currently the Axie map is only available from the Luna's landing, the big red square, to the left. So nothing, I'm not sure if you can see my mouse. Yeah, we can see but it. Yeah, nothing, everything from here is quarter one sale. They'll be releasing this one later mm -hmm. probably this year once things have advanced more and they've released land gameplay. Mm -hmm. And they're reserving these two uh, quadrants for the indeterminate future. They're smart guys and they know how not to tank the price of land. And they know that if they release the quarter two sale too early, they screw a lot of their biggest early backers. Mm -hmm. I'm talking guys way bigger than me. Yeah. I own a lot of land, but I don't own the expensive stuff. Those guys that own hundreds of these purple mystic parcels. You know, that's a, that's six figures fiat easy. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, is that that's because the they, they is that because they anticipate like more traffic to those areas because they're rare creatures and rare items to be uh, earned exactly. in there? Hmm. That's like the, uh, that's how the value. I have a tier. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you're dead on. That's how the value is derived. Okay. Um, the closer you are to the center of the map, the more you can do like world bosses and events mm -hmm. because the farther you are from the center, the longer it takes to get there and get back. How many parcels you total is where it? you're going, you have a cooldown to kind of uh, walk back. So my mystic node there, my giant plot, mm -hmm. I can walk right to Luna's Landing to do whatever and walk right back. I can walk to the Genesis Land. I can walk to my, my own node is right there. I can farm the hell out of that one node. Mm -hmm. And uh, all my best axes are going to live there unless I get something uh, even better. Mm. So what's going to spawn there are higher level monsters that drop higher level loot. And by being closer to Luna's Landing and a bunch of other really big resource nodes, my cooldown for harvesting nodes and going to other places on the map is going to be extremely short. Mm -hmm. Now, look on the top left at my Twin Towers there. They're good for farming just those two really big nodes, but there's going to be a lot of competition for those really big nodes. That's why I'm buying the crap out of all the parcels in that area, so I don't have any competition. Mm. The market's small enough that big players can corner entire markets. In this case, literally, I am buying corners. I am cornering the cornering <laughs> market. Right. So this means I'll be able to build bigger buildings too. Certain buildings are going to require a big square to build, like 50 by 50 or something crazy like that. I, or, no, that, that math doesn't make sense. Anyway, these two twin towers here are going to be this, one of the very few places on the entire map that anyone can build a max size building. Mm -hmm. And I obviously intend to fill out those two orange squares mm -hmm. and the green one to the best of my ability. So um, I'm thinking is long, 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 long term, the land is going to be my passive income vehicle. I can rent out axes to players who want to play. They can farm resources on my land to give me a cut. And uh, it really is just kind of like building a factory operation. It's just an assembly line where I, I bring in employees to do rote tasks, predictable, deterministic outcomes. And then the underlying assets value will increase proportionally with, well, my, my, maybe, maybe more than proportionally, potentially even exponentially with the underlying value of the passive income vehicle. Mm -hmm. Especially if we at AxiGG have put like an L3 vehicle on top of that land by using our NFT arrays to give special rights. Interesting. That yeah, hole goes it, real deep, my friends. Yeah, no, we're, we're processing here because this looks a lot like the Decentraland map. Yeah, it does. And, and what what I'm realizing, I think they consulted on it. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. What was that? They, they consulted on it. Oh, okay. 
Well, um, what I'm realizing, and I think Iman is realizing, is like it's it's sort of like Decentraland, but like if you look at the Decentraland map, there isn't anything that spawns. Like no. like Decentraland c- completely depends on the community to build stuff yeah. on their parcel, mm-hmm. and if nobody builds anything, you're gonna spawn in Decentraland. You're not gonna see anything. Yeah. Um, other than like green what do grass. You do in Decentraland, just like a hangout space, or is there like well an objective? Are there any like achievements, awards, quests, events, uh, or is it just like the crypto kind of situation where it's just a cool thing that has cool mechanics that you can play around? In? It, there's and no disrespect to either of those games. No, for sure. Yeah, that's a valid. No, no, that's a valid question. Uh, so I, I would say that there are no quests. Um, uh, there are events, but there are community-driven events. Like, let's say, so we deployed a couple. A couple of like games in Decentraland. One is called Block Runner. Another one's called Pack Runner. And what they're designed to do is to provide passive income to anybody who deploys this game on their land. So let's say you are a landowner in Decentraland. You go to our application called MetaZone.io, and think of MetaZone.io as a uh, an app store for Decentraland. So you go in there, you see some games like the ones that we created, like Block Runner. You uh you basically nice. you purchase that and you deploy that game on your land, and then all you do is shill your land to say, hey, players who play this game on my land, um, you know, can earn mana in Decentraland, and when they earn mana, you earn mana right when they play, and and so the the point here is that the developers really it's the the burden is on them <laughs> to build. Yeah, games that that attract players to come in, and and it's pretty cool. Decentraland is cool in the sense that all you need is a browser, you need a link, so I can send you a link to Decentraland, and and that will just spawn you on my parcel, and then from there you'll be able to play wow. a game or walk wherever you want to go. It's basically that is a great UX. It's basically yeah. an open sandbox for developers to create whatever they want, and it's all know? browser based. So yeah. all you need is a MetaMask, so, and you jump in. Go ahead. You know, now I, I understand a little bit better now. Um, what I never understood about Decentraland is like, what's the point other than just chilling? Sure. Like I said, I like, dude, I spent half my time as a pro WoW player just shooting the breeze in guild chat about nonsense. Sure. sure. <laughs> Running on the auction. Like house. Into internet yeah. with people. My second space was like half as fun as the game. Same with Axie, honestly, until I started going business on this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it was my like second space where I was just chilling. Like my business partner that I met through Axie. Who I've never got to hang out with even in real life is moving to Vietnam next uh, in the next two months oh, with wow. his girlfriend and his dog. So, like we can share an office and do a startup together, and so he can lower his costs of living and avoid the German winters and <laughs> avoid the collapse of the inevitable collapse of the Western Empire yeah. or whatever. It is. All right. Yeah. Learn not to ask too too many questions. <laughs> so my thought here is okay. DCL has the platform that Axie lacks, which is a navigable map. Based on what Chung said, it's going to be... No, Chung is the CEO of Axie. Um, mm-hmm. He's a genius monster from outer space. I've never seen anything like it. And, like, I hang out with a lot of smart people. Like, he's... Wow. Mm-hmm. The guy's a, 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 got a GPU for a brain. It's amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. and, like, he's, one of the, he's part of the reason that these, these concepts in this game are already so fleshed out to the nth degree. He just saw what everyone else was doing wrong. Yeah, that's or what I'm realizing. He should have was like, okay, slam this all into Axie. CryptoKitties, Decentraland. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Jiho, Jeff, is big into uh, DeFi, so he's looking at all these different protocols and partnerships with MakerDAO. So 
what I'm seeing here is I'm looking at this Axie map where I've, I mean, I don't even know. This is tens of thousands of dollars of Axie land, I guess. I don't know what it is at this point. But I can't do anything with it for at least like another six months because land gameplay is just not the highest priority for them right now. Mm. Or should it be? But I'm not getting any rewards for holding these. Mm. I think that's partially by design, though, because they don't want to give the OGs too, 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 too big of an early advantage on passive income. Obviously, I'm biased. I want it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm in this for the long haul. I can wait. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I think it would be very, 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 very easy to render the Axie map layout with the Decentraland engine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that stuff is open source or closed source. Um, it's, but well, Decentraland, something that the team they're, they're launching in February 20th. So, and they're apparently decentralizing everything so everything's going to be open source according to the definition of decentralization right so mm-hmm. uh that's a potential uh situation for axie too what one question i do have we were watching another youtube video on axie and maker dow how is maker dow playing a role in axie uh they've been sponsoring axie they sponsored the last tournament okay with, I think, 2,000 die. Uh, somebody two nights ago went home with 1,000 die and a bunch of Luna for taking down the tournament. Mm. It was not me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, lost, I lost a heartbreaker of a match to finish just out of the money, but I can't complain. I didn't practice. Mm-hmm. So... Is any, anybody streaming this? Uh, generally- is anybody streaming Axies right now? I'm about... Oh uh, yeah, people are definitely streaming Axies, and it's about to get much more serious now that the first tournament has passed. Yeah, we're going to be streaming. Like I said, I'm building a streaming studio right now. Um, a lot of the esports guys are going to start to stream now that the first tournament has passed. Uh, I think you're going to see Axie become one of those popular streams mm. because it's so easy to follow and so accessible to the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Like my mom doesn't want to watch Enforcer J play Apex and blow people's brains out with giant dinosaurs and jetpacks. <laughs> I like that stuff, and my mom don't. But I showed my mom my Axie collection, and when she was done laughing and wiping the tears out of her eyes from some of the monsters that she saw, she was like, how do you have 8,000 of these? I'm like, because I'm your son, mom, and I'm my dad's son too. She's like, these look like the cartoons I draw when I'm bored. (laughs) I'm going to get my mom playing Axie one day. So She's a a dev, so she'll know what's up. Oh, that's awesome. So I can't help but thinking here, like, okay, you render this map in with the the, the, uh, decentral IL. The Decentraland engine, mm-hmm. nothing fancy. Just use whatever graphics or tech they have to represent it. There's, you know, actually be coming out with a uh, SDK soon that will have a lot of art that could be used. But for now, this is a proof of concept. I'd love to see somebody just animate axes in 3D and Decentraland. This is like the first, first, first thing. We we started tinkering with that in Unity, but it's it's outside of our uh, skill set too far for us to really go any further. But I can't imagine that it's hard to turn the 2D Axie skeleton into a 3D one. Just have a little hovering around there. <laughs> yeah. Could be the start of a beautiful partnership and might make it really interesting to run Axie Land on DCL. Dude, that would be interesting. It would take a lot of work to 3Dify the Axies to the point where it's like commercializable, but just as like a, a sandbox proof of concept, just for the YOLO funsies walls. Yeah. Well, I would imagine, like, remember in uh, the, the original Doom game, you were playing a 3D game, but all the assets were 2D sprites. So you might exactly. be able, you you could I grew up on that game. Yeah, you could do that in in Axie Land. Just 
use 2D mm-hmm. sprites for now. I mean, you, you get the gameplay in there, and then you'll be able to traverse the land without too much of a hassle. That's, you know, that, that's basically what we were thinking, because mapping them to 3D parts would be very, very difficult. It would but be. A little bit of the right... <clears throat> Little bit of the right lighting effects and shading. Yeah. Um, some, some clever tricks of the eye. I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna think about it though because I'm really bored about of not being able to like hang out with my axes, you know? Yeah, for sure. Like, I want to put like my three axes on my cool land and just like you know, lay back, you know, smoke a cigarette, see what they're up to, you know, watch them bounce around and fight shit. I think there is an Axie and DCL sort of like integration at some point. I, I thought I yeah, thought I've I saw heard, that. I've heard that for sure. Yeah, so Axie's hmm. probably gonna build some three D versions of their Axies and and maybe you'll be able to deploy yeah, yeah, you'll be able to deploy your Axie in Decentraland. At least you're not gonna be able to play the game in Decentraland, at least not yet. I mean, they might, you know, eventually well, get that. Well the game doesn't need to be embedded in the in the DCL. The game just needs a portal because it launches like it's not a world PvP kind of game. Like it's like Final Fantasy when you encounter an item, uh, a monster in the world, it begins its own little atomic oh, encounter. For where sure. You do the battle, then it's over. And to do that, all you need to do is tap into the Axie uh, battle system to dummy an API call to send a challenge. I'm not sure how to do that, but I can't imagine it's hard, and I'm sure they'll want to support it. Because oh, then you come to my lab, you you click on my you know my sign that says "Fight me for one eat." or some craziness like that yeah and then it the contract triggers the, the, the battle system and the notification and all that. Yeah. yeah i'm just amazed by like how deep the rabbit hole goes on all of this stuff and i'm, I'm the kind of guy that likes to take things to their nth degree extrapolation and like thought experiment like well, what would it be like if the universe ended in 10 billion years you know, <laughs> just to keep myself keep myself thinking differently and, and innovating mm-hmm. well i man thinks we got a hundred years left <laughs> not me yeah. Stephen Hawking who knows Stephen Hawking there yeah. you go <laughs> um, yeah. uh, I definitely... nah, the sun, the sun, we got like billions of years till the, a few billion years till the sun goes out that's all I'm worried about anything else we can pretty much survive yeah that's what sun I'm going thinking out you'll come back from that unless you go to a different solar system anyway yeah. uh, I'll I'll let Bezos talk about that when he's on the cast yeah I know right <laughs> <laughs> alright well it's but, been... yeah, to bring it back to like, being able to navigate the, the map with your Axie NFTs, but also like maybe my Kingdoms Beyond Legendary Heroes too, standing next to my Axies and my DCL copy of like my my land holdings. That brings up and a then, good question. Are are you into other NFTs uh, other than Axies? Yeah, uh, I'm actually really really heavy into Kingdoms Beyond. Okay, uh, I invested a lot into that. I really love them. They're a Canadian team. Out of uh, a lot of them are University of Waterloo grads, which is a really really good engineering school. And they're doing all the right things right now. They're basically making, I would call it the blockchainified Final Fantasy. It's got that vibe to it. It reminds me of those 90s JRPGs. Mm-hmm. They're continually improving the graphics. Right now they're in like Doom Sprite mode. It's always going to be 2D as far as I can tell, mm-hmm. but it's in like 2D Doom Sprite mode for the entire game. Yeah. So it's it's kind of ugly, but you can kind of like, they're like, yes, it is ugly. You can see where we're going with this. Call us some slack. That game is really solid. People, it has a really, they have a really good bent on play to earn. They're, um, I forget how they do the tokenomics. It's worth reading their white paper, but the short version is all the heroes that you buy, which are you know, like your axes basically. Mm-hmm. They are, how do I explain this? They're like, they have a thing called ETH backing. And what that means is they, 
as you play the hero, they get stronger, of course, in the game, but they also fill up a status bar, which means, and it, the status bar measures how much ETH you can reclaim from this hero by burning the token. So dusting it, like in Hearthstone. So for example, I paid somebody to level up my legendary heroes to level 20 and get them fully backed. So mm-hmm. at any time, I could cash them out for their ETH backing amount. Gameplay-wise, they're worth more than their ETH backing amount, but it basically sets yourself up as the buyer of last resort for your item, so you always have non-zero liquidity on it. Mm-hmm. As soon as I read that, I thought that was insanely innovative, and I, I shoved a big chunk of capital into that game. I played it a few times. It's fun. It's mm-hmm. not like my kind of game, but it used to be, so I know, you know, I know how to evaluate it, uh, but Axie is now like what I want to be playing. I tinkered with Gods Unchained, bought a bunch of chests in the pre-sale. Mm-hmm. was planning on holding them, but something about the game just doesn't resonate with me, and I flipped them mostly for a profit. Mm-hmm. I still have like one super rare card that I'm trying to get like two or three ETH for, but other than that, I divested from that game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I haven't touched Crypto Space Commanders. The only CSC investment I made was to buy the domain csc.gg, mm-hmm. which someone has already tried to buy off of me, and I said no. Mm-hmm. But it looks like a really cool game. They have a really cool innovation um, called the Proxima Station, which is a player-owned space station. that will There will never be another player-owned space station, so they say. And you can own shares of it for, again, passive income. Mm-hmm. One of the big Axie whales owns like at least half of it or more and kind of runs the whole show. How do you handle taxes that, I, on all these all these uh, purchases for uh, NFTs? Is that Does that play a role in like your decision making? What was the first word you said in that question? How, how do you uh, handle like taxes when purchasing these assets? I'm honestly not sure yet because we just started doing this. Oh, okay. Um, all right. The, there's a lot of questions that we're trying to suss out right now. I mean, I like running legit businesses. I like, I don't like paying taxes, but I, I like not going to jail or whatever. <laughs> so the, the, the tax legislation on crypto is still really, really fuzzy. Oh, especially on NFTs. On NFTs. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's a zero on NFTs, but the way in terms of like ethically, the way I see it is until that money hits the fiat system, they don't recognize it as mine. Yeah. You know, or else I could pay my taxes in ETH. You want to tax ETH, take ETH for taxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think that's fair. So if I realize a gain into my like fiat bank account, then that's that should be normal taxable income. Obviously, mm-hmm. a, a smart business retains as much income and reinvests it to avoid that problem. That's right. Which is mainly what we're doing here. But then there's the other complication of that I'm a US citizen, but I don't I'm I don't like live there. I've been there three times in the last three years, tops. Mm-hmm. So then to whom do I owe taxes is the bigger question. Mm-hmm. Well, the work isn't being done on U.S. soil. In fact, none of us live in the U.S. Mm. Some of us are citizens. And uh, this is good information for anybody who's digging into this. I'm not an uh, attorney or a tax professional, but I've, I'm an entrepreneur who's done his research. So you know, maybe cross-check this with what the listeners know. But like... In the U.S., there's a tax, uh, tax exemption for income earned abroad paid from a foreign company, mm-hmm. yep. which means if I was a teacher here in Vietnam, I would be paying taxes to the Vietnamese government, and it's about a $100,000 tax write-off for, uh, for the foreign income exclusion. So the question then is, okay, if I'm paying taxes to the U.S., why? Because none of the business is based there, and if so, 
do I use that tax exemption? Because I'm never going to take a hundred grand a year out of this business for my own personal needs. There's no point. I don't spend right. like that. Right. If I buy something useful, it's going to be for the business anyway. You know? right. Hell, a private jet, even if we get to be billionaires, a private jet will be another business expense. I don't need the money. Sure. So there's that. And then the question is, are we gamers or are we a business? Like, where do you draw the line? Do we even need to incorporate? Do we even need to be paying taxes? Do we even need to be taking out fiat money? Now, taxes, only, taxes don't seem to apply, um, I don't know about the letter of the law, but like, it seems unenforceable to tax like transactions that never leave the crypto ecosystem. I guess, and, and so then the question is, if we want to be legit, which we generally do be, do we incorporate a company in Singapore, which has better tax laws, and because none of us are in the U.S., is more geographically advantageous and, and makes more sense? Like, if I'm a, if I'm a Singapore business owner and I'm paying Singapore taxes, I'll hang out there. I'll use their amazing public transit system and public infrastructure and support, you know, a a, a country whose tax money I can enjoy the benefit of by sure. just function of being there. Absolutely. So it's like a really complicated question that. My, my only, I guess my only firm advice is to like do your research and cover your ass. If you're not going to pay taxes and you're going to take out fiat, then make sure you do it in a way that's either legal or hard to track. You know, I don't like playing those games. I can make, I can win honestly. I don't need to cheat. Mm-hmm. But um, it's a game. You know, taxes, just like everything else is a game, is to figure out the optimal line of play. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are. We don't have enough money and we definitely don't have enough sales yet to matter to anyone who would want to tax us. But sure. we, we hope that will change by the end of the year and that this will be questions we have to ask my initial instinct based on who i've talked to is pretty much no matter who you are but especially if you're in southeast asia setting up a company in singapore is the way to do it right because they have the simplest infrastructure for handling everything it's clean it's safe it's modern you're a family guy you can raise a family there i wouldn't raise a family in vietnam necessarily uh etc that's probably why going back to your question about southeast asia is you have hubs like uh, Hong Kong and Singapore, real, real, real close and a cheap flight away. Mm-hmm. And you've got um, all the major cities, you know, all the Chinese and Japanese coastline, Malaysia, uh, Indonesia, just huge population centers with people who are hungry to work and they're, you know, generally people with decent values. So I really can't recommend the region enough for entrepreneurs looking to get something off the ground. You live like a king on very little money, which is good for your startup runway. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, we had a an original concept that we wanted to bring to you and probably plant that seeds for our next conversation. And uh-huh. uh, do, do you want to get into that, Iman, or should we wait for another well, gathering? For one, the camera's probably like on its last leg. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but we definitely need – there's a lot more to hash out. And let me think about it, and then we'll go into it next time. Let me just seed it in my head. Okay, yeah, let, let me seed it to you. Okay, so – so uh, the concept is pretty simple. So all the NFTs that exist today, CryptoKitties, uh, Axies, Gods Unchained, etc., we, we consider that as the base layer NFT to what we're trying to look into called a second layer NFT. And the second layer is, is as simple as, uh, I'll give you an example of one directly that we're trying to think of. So let's say we create the second layer NFT. Let's call it an ore. Like, like a material. And in this ore can be converted into other materials like uh, carbon and then diamond and then kryptonite and then adamantium and then unobtainium. You're, you're talking about basically building um, crypto-enforced chemistry. Yes, exactly. And so with the second layer NFT, 
you can merge this second layer with any base layer NFT. You can merge this with an Axie Infinity just for the looks for to increase the value of the Axie Infinity. And the way that you would do that mm. is you would start with an ore, right? And then you would stake or forge or what was the other word? Uh, well, let's say you forge this ore and you forge it for, let's say, one week. And then you forge that along with $100 worth of dye. And uh, so you stake it for a week, you forge it for a week, and then it converts into a carbon. And then, and then in the next phase, you can forge it for a month for $500, right? You stake it for $500. Wow. And then you get yeah. a okay. diamond. I, I think I'm seeing where you're going with this. Right? Keep going. Keep going. Okay. So, so then hmm. you, you finally, yeah. you spend, let's say, three or four years forging this material, and it turns into the solar core. This or a really galactic, like, really like that one. I really like that. <laughs> wow. core. Yeah, you get this galactic Man, core. Much, just out of curiosity, how much Ray Kurzweil sci fiction, sci fi have you read? Dude, I'm I'm all over Ray Kurzweil, man, and <laughs> Elon, and yeah, Stephen man. Hawking, and, and um, all these guys. Asimov. Uh, Asimov. Asimov. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what you're talking about now reminds me of Asimov's last question. If you've never read that, you must. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I, I like his series, man. It's, it's one of the best. E Elon talks about it all the time. Hey, Ben, real quick, yep. can you uh, exit uh, screen share? Because right now you're like a tiny little screen. Oh, I thought I had done that already. Yeah, exit in. We'll be able oh. to see you better. Okay, so let me finish oh, my stop share. There yeah, let me uh, finish this this thought process. So now you've you've spent all these years forging this material, and um, what you can do with it is you can merge that with any base layer NFT. So let's say you have a uh, an Axie, uh, a mythic Axie. You take uh, this new smart contract that we developed that could potentially be a new ERC standard. <laughs> where it takes a base layer NFT and emerges with a second layer NFT, the one that we would create. And the only thing it would like do... Socketing. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. like enchanting or imbuing in our case. Um, Perfect, yeah. So, Whatever so you, word we use. Yeah, exactly. So you merge these two, and, and initially, it, it all it does, it increases the value of your Axie Infinity. And the reason is, is because when you look at this mythic Axie with this galactic core embedded, you know for sure... That whoever forged this galactic core spent three years forging it because he had to stake it for three years and he had to stake it along with $5,000 worth of dye. And you know for sure that that's what happened. That's the only way you get a, a, a galactic core. And, um, and then the devs could say, hey, you know, we want to support, you know, the second layer ERC token. And when you play that Axie, it has like a different animation or... Uh, when you play that Axie, it gets one one plus on the critical, you know, um, attributes. Mm -hmm. It could be whatever the devs, like, sort of decide to do. Um, and so that's that's sort of what we're thinking of, of creating, and we want to kind of get that, that seed implant in your head so that we can kind of talk about it more and more in depth if you're still there. I think it dropped out. Hammer definitely did, huh? Yeah. Uh, no, it's still going. Oh, let me see. his stream... We're getting to the juicy part. There he is. There he is. Hello. Hey, Ben. Uh, so how, how much of that uh, the ending part did you hear? I missed the last 30 seconds. Okay. So I think the last 30 seconds was, so uh, essentially. The galactic core thing and, and viewing it into the Axie, and then the person who buys it is like, 
wow, this is this axe has been imbued with years of you know proof of play, proof of work, investment. Exactly. My question there was, of course, having a you know having a galactic core material attached to the axe makes it more valuable, but without the axe. Let's assume that the Axie team is not bought in on adding in-game functionality beyond what they already do. Can the player who owns the Axie with the core, you know, melded onto it, detach the core? Oh, absolutely. So yeah. So this is a right. Yeah, this is detachable. That's like it's a token. Yeah. Yeah, this is detachable, and um, so like think of it as right now Axie is only supporting ERC seven twenty one tokens for their game. And and all they would need to do is support this ERC eight twenty one token, which is a merged Axie, and and they don't have to add to the gameplay. It could just change the animations, uh, just because it has a galactic core in it. But it doesn't really change the mechanics of the game. And it's really up to. But, they, but Axie still needs to do something there to to make it valuable. And I think the key to a token spec that does this is that it must be intrinsically valuable without the help of any partner nfts just to keep it in the the theme of you know the DeFi blockchain world is it has to be permissionless or else no one's gonna oh for sure you're just gonna be up against the bottleneck of oh hey can you add this animation or that animation and and, and so we're not so, we're not we're not depending on devs to support it all we're saying is as the axie collector he has a mythic axie and he's he's uh, forged this uh, galactic core because he spent the three years forging it right Oh, and and from his perspective, he's just merging the two and saying, "Look, look at my valuable mythic axie with galactic core. I can sell this for three or four times the price of the original axie just because of its um, speculative value." And that's that. You can separate the two. You can play the axie by itself. Um, but initial, but the intent is that you have an NFT token that is considered as a merged token with this core. Yep. I love it. I think the most valuable part of that entire idea is the long form like tech tree of slowly gathering and upgrading materials, because that creates a race condition where it's like, okay, who's going to be the first guy to forge the first, you know, That's dying right. sons. And, and so let me like add that. just a tiny layer to this. So when you collect these initial ores, they have their own properties, right? And those properties will be a random roll of purity uh, color, what, whatever, you know, the properties that we make up that end up being, you know, considered rare. And uh, so then... And then basically you're doing like what breeding is an axiom by melding elements together and getting semi-random yeah, properties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah? Exactly. And then... Dude, um, this is fire. I can't believe this doesn't exist yet. Yeah, right? Right? That's what we did. <laughs> I was working on it, man. I'm, I'm gonna, you got me thinking. I'm not going to sleep tonight. Yeah, that's, because... that's why we wanted to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you just gave me an idea for like an entire game. Yeah. And... This might be the precursor that gives me the the boost I need to get escape velocity. Because like I think again, I'm mentioning my mom on this. You know, mom, you get shout out on the podcast twice. Yeah. <laughs> my mom saw Axie and she's like, I really think genetic gaming is going to be a trend. Yeah, she, for sure. She's like me. She's me about freaking everything. She's like the ability to produce more, more like more more cards is right. amazing and. It adds an infinite dimension of gameplay, kind of building on the customization that Magic innovated on almost 30 years ago. Right. So I'm thinking like the idea of forget, like well, I guess what I called it was chemistry on the blockchain is like sci-fi chemistry. 
space chemistry, things like that. Yeah, for sure. Because most games are about like fighting and the people and the monsters. But like, <clears throat> what if it's just like an MMO game that's where you're like emulating research scientists or something? Like, yeah. it sounds like a really dry subject matter, but I, I there's ways to punch it up so it doesn't sound so super lame. Yeah, for sure. You're and, a team uh, working on your dissertation. Your <laughs> deadline is away. You have no motivation and no real skills. Right. No one's going to play that game. Right. <laughs> Uh, and so last, last uh, concept here for implementation is now what if you can, you can uh, forge this, this uh, material in Decentraland? And if you do that, you're heading down a different evolutionary path of the rock. Perhaps you end up not with a galactic core, but with some DCL version of a mythic core. Right. And then you do the same thing in Axie. Like just the same same item with a different skin. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Or platform exclusive items like Axie did with MakerDAO. Yeah, exactly. Or MakerDAO did with Axie, things like that. Yeah, I mean, this is this is one of the biggest, uh, would be one of the biggest improvements to um, Ethereum is like a proper gaming layer on top of it. So I know guys like um, Zenzo, I was on their cast a few days ago. Mm-hmm. They're working on their own L1 solution because kind of like the reason that we're going to roll our own utility token is there's no existing solution that natively supports everything they need to do for their game. So if I build a game, it might be on their blockchain instead of on ETH's blockchain, mm. but you could ex- it might be even easier to execute on a custom-built chain. So whether it's an ERC improvement or a feature or like an L2 feature of a purpose-built chain i'm i'm, I'm uh, ambivalent about that it yeah. doesn't matter yeah for sure but the idea itself of like forging raw materials and long time development for things like a game that literally takes years to get to like breeding the really epic stuff is we don't really have something that's like dedicated to that i'm sure csc has things that are like that but csc is like a huge complex game i'm thinking something much more simple mm-hmm. where for example again actually there's no definite end goal it's just have more see where the game goes um i have goals like i want an axie with all six japanese skin parts and i want a pure reptile that has this part but that's just my own personal volition that's what i that's what i need and that's what i'm into mm-hmm. but if we had a game where it was like first person to forge a diamond gets a prize. First person to discover a new element gets a prize. Things like that. Mm -hmm. So in whatever makes sense, sci-fi, fantasy, um, steampunk, whatever the skin is, doesn't matter as long as the game designer can match the skin to the mechanics. Yeah, for Um, sure. But just being able to say, hey, it's going to take at least two or three years to even discover one of the recipes i think uh i was saying yeah go ahead video games that people could play for five years you know where it's like okay no one's even going to discover the recipe for how to mint diamonds until year two right. no one's gonna be able to even gather enough resources in year five we might get our first diamond right. so um i love the idea of building a video game that give like a tech tree progression from the beginning until like some kind of end game i get 40 guys to beat the fire monster underground or else you know if you don't have 40 of your best guys you're not going to do it there was a huge 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 race to be the first one to take down ragnaros in world of warcraft mm-hmm. and that creates you know a really nice rivalry a nice like you know nasa style arms race and i want to 
in, in the game I designed, in the game I'm evaluating for purchase, whatever, I want to see those mechanics that give people an aspirational bent to their actions, not just get more money, but mm -hmm. do this game action and do these actions repeatedly. So best example for me was farming recipes in World of Warcraft so that my enchanter could do everything. Exactly. Once my enchanter could do everything, I could sell enchantments and materials for more. So same thing here is like I had an end goal in mind, discovering recipes, then getting the materials to craft for those recipes, selling what I craft for money to buy more materials. You know, a game like that, that's focused on these elements that you're discussing, wrapped in the right skin. I, I have like this weird intuition that steampunk might be the way to go. Like steampunk discovery, yeah. yeah, for sure, kind of thing. Just I'm just totally spitballing here, but I think we're going to see more and more games based on this idea of, of tokens that can create more tokens. Yeah, no, absolutely, uh, Ben. So I really appreciate you uh, joining us, man. Uh, we definitely want to have you back. When do you think you can come back? Like, when, when's the the launch for Axie.gg? We're hoping to have things kind of wrapped up by mid February, maybe sooner, depending okay. on what finishes when just going to try to get something basic up online to put our inventory in front of people. Okay. Uh, I need to do some work on the pricing algorithm to make sure that we can price things at scale, not manually, but we can start putting up stuff manually and uh, obviously it's a priority to get it out the door. I'm happy to come on before the launch again as well, if Hell we yeah. get delayed, but after the launch there's a lot more I'll be able to talk about too. And then we can go into some details about the more out there stuff like augmented reality and, some of the work I'm doing in sports that combines augmented reality. But for now, I think we've had more than enough. Yeah, no, for sure. We definitely want to see that gadget for the for the next round, for sure. There it comes. One more, one more sneak peek. One more sneak peek. Look at that thing, man. There it goes. <laughs> Does That's it crazy. If you, if you turn that the other direction, would it project onto your, wind, uh, your drapes or... Uh, yeah, absolutely, but it's but, so bright. Uh, I haven't turned on the computer that powers it, and it's really bright in here. But oh, I see. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, you can kind of sort of the projector lens. I think is broken. I gotta switch the projector out. Yeah. it's not hooked up to anything. But like you can see that in a fairly light room in the middle of the day, yeah, it's having no problem putting a little. That's like probably one tiny, tiny portion of the screen. Okay, yeah. since it's on standby mode, it would take up this entire thing. Damn. Oh, here's a cat. Look. Yeah. <laughs> in theory, the camera should be able to, when it's running, identify that it has seen a cat. Right, right. And then it can draw a laser, uh, it can draw like a projection of a mouse to entertain the cat. Mm -hmm. Not joking, I plan to use this as a cat toy primarily. Dang. No way. Maybe not primarily. <laughs> yeah, primarily. He's gonna have a whole, when I'm not in the studio, he's going to have a whole jungle in that VR room. Yeah. All right, no, I don't man. get out much. You anyway, man, thanks for your time today. This has been fun. No, absolutely. You're definitely invited back. Um, let's yeah. let's keep in touch. Think about that seed, and uh, let's see Oof. let's see how soon we can get back on and and hash this out. Oh yeah. By the time I'm on again, it's going to be at least a seedling, if not more. Yeah. So <laughs> I will be keeping that in the front of my mind, and I'm also going to think about what we can do to execute on that now that doesn't require building things. Like, what can we do with Axie? or DCL For or sure. both. Yeah, so hey, so actually on that note, what's the best this is a good question that I should ask you to close to help kind of support your cause is what can I and or my listeners do to like dip our toes in DCL 
So just give us a little cheap sandbox. Like we're not trying to hodl and make money here. I don't care if it's near anything. In fact, I would love to have like a big open parcel out in like the middle of nowhere and like nature. Yeah. To just do. So well, maybe like the show notes or something, put some resources for getting started in DCL and like absolutely. how to how to like get your first parcel and do something with it. Because I've got tons of 3D animation experience and stuff. So I'm just dying to get in there. I just don't know what to do or where to start or how to like meld it in with everything else I'm doing. Yeah, I, the only thing that we'd tell you is uh, for sure, make sure you sign up to get a, an avatar. And once you have an avatar, they'll invite you to, to, to be able to visit the land. And then from there, you can actually jump into the game and walk around to Central Land. And you can actually see different lands that you could purchase from the marketplace or actually physically visit the land itself. And then from there, you'll be able to go to metazone.io and then find any application that a developer created that's deployed in metazone that can be deployed onto your land and potentially earn passive income and then i can deploy my own app exactly land as well exactly right make one yep and, and okay can, uh, after, and, the, after the show can you just send some resources for like a developer who wants to get started tinkering in dcl I'm not trying to make money just like a lot of 10 bucks yeah for sure for sure you definitely want to go to uh, i'll trade some axes for Land. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's hey, possible for sure. I, I definitely want to get into Axis. Trade just Axie land, UCL land. How about that? Yeah, and even better. Axis. Even better. Yeah. It's definitely on the table. Well, but for, that, but for sure. Start my day. You guys end yours. All right, man. I appreciate it, Ben. We'll talk soon, man. Anytime. All right. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to the Blockrunner podcast. Make sure you visit our website, theblockrunner.com, and sign up to stay up to date on the latest in crypto. Also, reach out to us on Twitter at TheBlockRunner. Yeah.